Your move, creep. Son, your ego is writing checks your body can't cash. The only thing I know how to do. It's a good-looking boy. I'm a member of the Imperial Senate. That's right, Lord. Welcome to Earth. You crossed the line. You know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Retrograde Podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about older movies. We talk about how they were made, how they were received, and whether or not they, they hold up. up. I'm sorry, I had what? to. <laughs> I was I was just repeating that last part. <laughs> it's a it's a catchy intro. Uh, we've been workshopping it for a while, right? <laughs> I, I, if any of you listeners know which was the first episode where we started doing this exact like line let us know because i forgot <laughs> you forgot uh, oh that's I interesting forgot. it just it just became part of the how we start the episode it, it helps like get us into ah yeah we're this is the podcast this is the thing that we've created together yeah well and it's a great reminder to anyone who hasn't listened to us before just what we're all about why why it's called retrograde and what do we talk about so it's a great opening line thanks but I cut you off before you said you introduced yourself. <laughs> oh, well, if you're new here, I am Austin. And I'm George. And wow, guys, I mean, I think this is going to be a, this is gonna be another great episode for another great year. Uh, Austin and I were talking about it, and we have gone to this year two other times, I believe, right? At least two other times. Yeah. But what movie are we going to be talking about this week, Austin? This week, we're going to be talking about my favorite entry in the Lord of the Rings franchise. Lord of the Rings, colon, The Two Towers. This is the second Lord of the Rings movie. Lord of the Rings, episode five, I guess. Wait, episode five? Yeah, because The Hobbit would be like the prequels. Oh, yeah, you you're know? right. You're right. Wow. <laughs> I was like, wait, that doesn't make sense. This, wait, no. this is the Empire Strikes Back of... The Lord of the Rings Ooh. franchise. That's a good point. That's a good point. If if you wanted to compare it to Star Wars. Yeah. <laughs> but in well, Star Wars, I think that that one's the best Star Wars too, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I love, I mean, we, we we talked about the original one. Go check out those episodes. Mm -hmm. Those are really great. But yeah, Star Wars is amazing, but I love The Empire Strikes Back. Like, I think that's the one that made me fall in love with the franchise oh, yeah. to this day still. Mm -hmm. um, but I, you know, Two Towers is a cool movie. I I think this is your favorite one, but with yes. me, uh, I've never had a favorite for the Lord of the Rings because for one reason or another, the three just kind of blend into one. Like, Oof. yeah, like I don't, the only, <laughs> there's only, like I can remember certain parts of each movie, but like the connecting tissue or like everything in the middle kind of like, oh, I guess this was in the second one. It just, I think that talks about how amazing this franchise is, that it kind of just feels like it's one woven story that was like fine-tuned and it was and like you know J.R.R. Tolkien when he wrote the books like he thought ahead and he like went back and made sure that everything made sense and that it had a good fluid you know like momentum I think the I think the Lord of the Rings was actually written as one book didn't Becky tell us that he wrote the Hobbit and then the studio was like we want more of these so then the he went and did the Lord of the Rings and it was three books or something? Oh, I. you know what? I think I'm going to have to go revisit our episode on the first one. <laughs> <laughs> well, Becky will be back and she'll be able to, to correct us. 
yes, she is our uh, she will be our Gandalf. And uh, mm-hmm. I am I'm basically Mary. Mm-hmm. And I feel like you're Gimli, Austin. I'm Gimli. What? Yeah. yeah. You give me Gimli energy. I don't think I'm a Gimli. I feel like you are. I, you know, ha. These orcs here. What makes me a Gimli? I don't know. I just, I don't know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know what? Watching this movie, we'll, we'll determine it. Because Gimli, okay. Gimli plays a big part in this film. And mm-hmm. we'll see, well, you'll, you'll be seeing it. And it's like, maybe you'll see clues. It's like, oh, this is how I'm like Gimli. Gimli. Or the opposite. You'll see it and you're like, oh, he's wrong. Which I feel like you are going to say. <laughs> I think you're wrong. But we'll see. I don't. Yeah. Know, I don't know which one I would identify the most with. Toss me, don't tell the dwarf. Like, I feel like that's George energy, if anything. What? Or, to- or toss me, don't tell the elf. <laughs> Actually, kind of. But I'm not. <laughs> but but I'm not like. I feel like Gimli. Like I'm. I'm way sillier than Gimli. Well, Gimli is pretty silly, but he just doesn't think he is. <laughs> I. But I know I'm silly. That's true. Yeah, you have a bit of self awareness. Maybe you are Mary. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but okay. So I mean, look, I don't really have a favorite in this franchise. I love all three films. I think they're all very well done. Uh, but you say you you. I remember this in the first episode. You said that the Two Towers is your favorite one. Why? Why is it that this one stands out? Uh, I just rem- I remember it the most, and I think the most interesting things happen in this one because you have. Sam and Frodo on their adventure, they meet Gollum, Smeagol, and that's a whole other thing, because, like, Gollum is, like, jealous of Sam, and Sam doesn't trust Gollum, and Frodo is, like, kind of losing himself a bit. Mm -hmm. And then you have the other hobbits, and they meet the the treants, and they're it's the it's the one where you have the orcs and looks like meets back on the menu like their adventure is really fun, mm-hmm. uh, and then you have the three like soldiers you know the three warriors the three people who do all like the action stuff and and all their adventure and them trying to like all right we're gonna like help defend this kingdom, and then you have the return of Gandalf who has like mm-hmm. one of the best like reentrances into you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. like when I, I like wrestling right this is this is known <laughs> on the podcast and then sometimes a wrestler gets injured right and it's like oh man they're they're gone but then when they come back oh it's 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 a moment that i don't know how to describe because it's so unique to wrestling but it mm-hmm. happens in this movie when when gandalf who you thought was dead comes back and he comes back more powerful it's great. It's why I like the second Pirates of the Caribbean movie, because you have that moment where Barbosa comes back. Oh, yeah. I love that moment. At the very and end. At the very end. But just be, just the fact that he comes back with the monkey, eats an apple. Like, it's such a, like, what, 30 seconds? Maybe 15 seconds of movie where it's like, yes, I don't care about anything else that happened before. This is my favorite part of this entire franchise. <laughs> Um, I don't know. It's just, it's cool. It's cool. And then you have the Battle of Helm's Deep. And yes. then I believe you also have a, a monologue that Sam gives about these are the stories that we, we tell or something like that. Yeah, just very, very powerful. 
man, you talking about it, it's like, oh yeah, that's right, that happens in this one. And like oh, there's the so much tongue so- thing too. Mm-hmm. Oh, it, like everything that happens in this movie I think is the is very interesting. All the little side plots and everything. Because you have a worm tongue talking to the king, right? Mm. In the possession, or like the, the spell. Yeah. The or the curse, said, I think. Mm-hmm. Oh. Gondor calls for aid. Rohan, ah. Oh, that's right. Rohan, Rohan, will, answer, answer, uh, Rohan will answer, something yeah. like that. Yeah. I, th- I feel like uh, as far as like stakes and, and everything, I feel like this is like the highest. Because you don't... Like the minds of Moira, they're not the minds of Moira, Moria, the Helm's Deep. Like they're fighting that battle thinking they're going to lose, but they have to fight because they're not going to let let everybody die, you know, without mm-hmm. putting up a fight. And then I think the same kind of thing happens in the third one. But like you already did it in, in the second one and it was way cooler then. Yeah, that's a good point. The The third one I remember does ha- does having that um, Helm's Deep is probably the best part of this movie as far as i can remember i haven't seen this movie in a well, it's few the years big, like action action thing right yeah but all the other things that i described were were not part of that which mm-hmm. i also which i really really like so it's helm's deep is like the 13 year old i love action movies part you know what i mean mm-hmm. yeah uh that i remember but thinking about it now there's so much more that i love about this movie besides the big action battle thing i'm curious to see to revisit this one after having just seen you know uh the fellowship of the ring because it was pretty i mean it was like eight months ago that we saw this because our episode came out in december Mm -hmm. um so still relatively fresh in my mind i'm really curious to go back and see okay how has this aged um also just the cgi and like the practical effects i'm always curious about that you know i mean Visual yeah. effects sometimes don't hold up, but I still want to see, you know, yeah. and I'm not going to knock it points, but it's just like, oh, wow, like this still looks really good or, oh, this is aged. But I mean, I'm not going to say it's a bad movie because the CGI may have been might be a little outdated. I think that's silly. Right. I, th- I think sometimes, too, there is a uh, over reliance on CGI. Mm hmm. Because some sometimes you 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 need like these big battles because it's it's the big ending to the big movie, right? So you mm-hmm. got the big battle, and I think sometimes, um, like in this movie, I feel like they kind of hide some of the CGI and have have a lot of practical stuff going on. Because I think the big battle is at night, right? And I, th- yeah. I feel like that helps kind of hide some of the maybe, um. CGI that just doesn't look as good. Well, in the night, also in rain. Yeah, and I I think I remember someone talking about Jurassic Park and the the T-Rex scene and how it being night and it raining helps make the dinosaur look more real, Mm -hmm. you know, versus if they did that scene in the daytime. And I think the battle in The Return of the King, everything's in the daytime. Yes. You You don't have that advantage and you couldn't do it a- at night again because then it would look too similar to this one. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. No, 100%. I think maybe the the limitations of the technology, you could disguise with some practical things and having it be at night and stuff. So I think that's going to help age the effects better in this movie. 
Yeah, it's fun. It's funny that we bring up darkness and technology because this is the exact mm-hmm. same exact same thing we talked about in our descent episode. Yeah, <laughs> how the darkness and the use of practical lights to light the actors kind of worked in the film's advantage. Mm-hmm. That was mostly for tone and scares, but um, how this one uses darkness and ray to conceal maybe some of the CGI uh, or some of the practical effects, you know, just to make it look a little bit more grounded. Which hey. Use what you got. Use everything in your toolkit yeah. to make the best scene possible. And I'll say, I'll tell you this: Hel- Helm's Deep, when I saw it as a kid, was perfect. Was the coolest thing I had seen at that moment. Mm-hmm. Now I'm really excited. I I can't wait to talk about this movie. Let's talk about the box office real quick because we've been to this year before 2002, but we always like to talk about box office just to see kind of just to keep in mind where this film landed. Because uh, this film definitely landed in the top 10 for sure. Absolutely, it was in the top 10. 2002 box office, we've been to this year twice. Recently, actually. For Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah, Spider-Man and Signs. Both mm-hmm. came out in this year. And they were both in the top 10, along with Lord of the Rings Two Towers. At the two, 2002 box office, at the domestic box office, number one was Spider-Man. But in the worldwide box office... The Two Towers was number one with almost a billion dollars. Two at the domestic was Star Wars Episode Two, Attack of the Clones. Number three, Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, the second Harry Potter movie. Number four was Signs. Number five, My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Six, Lord of the Rings, Two Towers. Seven, Austin Powers and Goldmember. Number eight, Men in Black 2. Number nine, Ice Age. Number 10, A Beautiful Mind. Man, it still blows my mind that my big fat Greek wedding made more money domestically than Lord of the Rings Two Towers. Well, you got to keep in mind that this in 2002, Lord of the Rings came out in December. Yeah. So. In, oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. That's a good point. It only really had like two, three weeks to make all the, and it made all that money in 2002. Yeah. Like, so in, in 12 days, it made just five million less than my big fat Greek wedding. Okay. But this movie made a ton more money in 2003. Yeah, um, and overall, because like you, all the merchandise and everything that yeah. this movie made. I remember going to Burger King to get the Lord of the Rings mugs. <laughs> I wonder if we still have. I don't think we do. Oh, I remember it had like a little uh, Boromir that would you, like, he, you press a button and he would say, "You carry the fate of us all, little one." Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, Boromir. It was sad when he passed away in the first one. Yeah, it's definitely more sad uh, when you're older and realize who he was and where he comes from. And I think this movie, you get to see some of his family. Yeah. So it kind of adds more to the character. But as like a kid, you're like, that guy tried to hurt Frodo. Yeah. Why are we sad that he's dead? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, and that, again, that just comes with age and just mm-hmm. revisiting the movie and with a new perspective. Yeah, absolutely. But um, I'm actually curious to see if that will happen with this movie where you kind of like, oh, I didn't pick up on that. So mm-hmm. I'm really excited. This episode is going to be big. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be long, too, because uh, we're because these movies are long. And right. There's a lot to say. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm excited because we're going to have Becky again, who loves these movies, loves the books, uh, loves this like whole lore. Like the, the Lord of the oh, Rings yeah. universe, she's a big fan of. So it's always cool when we have someone who really loves, like, what they're talking about. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Is there anything you're looking forward to revisiting this film? No, okay, well, there's one big if. 
right? Like, or not big, one big, like, question mark that I have. How the fuck does Gandalf come back? Because I, because I, even as a kid, I didn't completely understand that whole thing. He went to the gulag. <laughs> well, <laughs> I guess, but I, I never understood, like, wait, how did he come back? And then, like, at the end of uh, The Return of the King, he has to leave. I was like, wait, was he always dead or was he? I never understood it. So now mm-hmm. that we're rewatching this movie, I want to see if there's, like, a better explanation or, or, like, if I understand the explanation better. Because as a kid, I did not. Mm-hmm. So I think that's really what I'm questioning. And also just how the story holds up and also the effects and stuff. Because these movies were a pain in the ass to make. I'm sure. That's a whole other story. I'm really curious to see what, what Gollum looks like now. Because Andy Serkis is... Like we talked on the in the previous episode about how being like those creature actors is kind of like a thankless job. Because um, you got to be in this like big like full body suit that covers you uh and no one can see your face right and then we we talk about how now that people don't really do that they often opt for cgi but there's also a lot of thankless work in cgi as well you know Gollum, right there was an actor who played him uh, andy circus i can't think of anybody else who has done this kind of work you know i can't name anybody else mm-hmm like he's Gollum, he's Supreme Lord Snoke, he's Caesar from the Planet of the Apes movies. Like he's he's like the what's his name? Like Doug Jones is known for playing like those creatures, you know, with all the prosthetics, you know, the really because he's a really tall guy, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and then you have Andy Serkis, who's kind of like the Doug Jones of the CGI characters. He mm-hmm. he does. All this work that you don't really see because the computer effects go over him, but he's still doing a lot of stuff. Like I don't know how I want to. I want to get going on on his performance to see what makes him so good at it. Why do they keep going for for Andy Circus for these kinds of roles? Another thing to do is like maybe you're like, oh, well, they just CGI his expressions and stuff, but he's also doing the voice, and the voice is iconic. Mm-hmm. So let's not take that away from it as well. <laughs> Right, like, and there's practical effects are really cool, but there's something to be said about computer graphics, uh, and like th- those kinds of visual effects. You know, I, I know that Marvel's been kind of throwing them under the bus, like overworking them, uh, not paying them enough, and and then making fun of them uh, in their finished movies. And look at how bad these effects are. You yeah, know, that's. That's not cool, man. I don't like that. So I want to give credit where credit is due and look into some of the work done to create Gollum specifically, both the actual computer graphics people and Andy Serkis. How do we bring these characters to life? Absolutely. 100% agree. I believe these movies are on HBO Max. But with HBO Max removing so so much content, let's just double check. Yes, okay, so if you would like to watch these movies with us, these movies, this movie is on HBO Max, but you can also rent it from Amazon and rent it from YouTube and all those other places. I'll be watching it on HBO. Uh, so, and I think I will try to watch the extended edition, and then do you want to like go over the changes between the two? Yeah, yeah, I'll watch, I'll watch the regular ones, and you watch the extended, and we'll go from there. 
So with that, we'll see you in one minute. Hey, Stinker, don't go getting too far ahead. Why do you do that? Oh, call them names. Run them down all the time. Because... Because that's what he is, Mr. Frodo. There's not left in him but lies and deceit. It's the ring he wants. It's all he cares about. You have no idea what it did to him. What it's still doing to him. I want to help him, Sam. Why? Because I have to believe he can come back. You can't save him, Mr. Farrell. What do you know about it? Nothing! I'm sorry, Sam. I don't know why I said that. I do. It's the ring. You can't take your eyes off it. I've seen you. You're not eating. You barely sleep. Hold of you, Mr. Frodo. You have to fight it. I know what I have to do, Sam. The ring was entrusted to me. It's my task. Mine. My own. Can't you hear yourself? Don't you know who you sound like? Welcome back to Retrograde Podcast. We just finished watching The Lord of the Rings. The Two Towers? Or is it just Two Towers? No, The Two Towers. The Two Towers. The, oh, okay. The Two Towers. Um, yeah, this is still my favorite Lord of the Rings movie. Same. <laughs> uh, you know, actually rewatching re it, I was like, huh. I don't, re I don't remember it being this long. <laughs> One thing I, so it's still your guys' favorite. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's funny because I still have a hard time trying to like remember what happens. Just because again, like I mentioned in the first part. All three of these just seem like one giant fluid story. And so rewatching this, I was like, oh, I forgot that happens here. Oh, I forgot that happens here. And and kind of looking through through the notes for this episode, I was like, it's it's three hours long. The, the version I saw, the theatrical, is three hours long. And I was like, mm -hmm. holy shit, like I forgot that happened. And I rewatched the movie like last night, you know? Mm -hmm. So this movie's massive. There's a and there's a lot happening. And I think as a kid, I was this was always the movie that was toughest to watch was because there were so many stories happening at the same time. That's fair. Because in Fellowship, they're together for a large part of the uh, story or basically, yeah, for a large part. In the third one, a couple of groups like converge. This is the one where most everybody's separated, except for like the three badasses, Frodo and Sam, Merry and Pippin. Everyone's scattered. Everyone has their own thing. And it's kind of hard to keep track of it or it was harder to keep track of it when I was a kid and still kind of a lot right now, even as a grown man. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. But overall, but still, still a great movie. Like this thing has aged like fine wine. Oh yes. I, I like all the, the different stories. I feel like it makes it easier to keep track of what's happening with the characters, at least who they are. Like I always have a hard time telling which one is Mary, which one is Pippin. That was something I was going to bring up. So in the first part, I said how I thought I was Mary and you're Gimli. Well, I actually meant that I'm Pippin. I love Pippin. <laughs> and I think I'm closer to Pippin than Mary. I can see that. 
<laughs> right? And I said that Austin's like Gimli. Can you see that as well, or is that like a eh? like the stoicism? I think I think that's what it is. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, there's just something I don't about see it, dude. And there's also something like stubborn about Gimli's Gimli. racist. <laughs> I I just feel like I feel like if uh, if I, like if Austin and I are having a conversation and it turns out that he's wrong, I feel like he would be the one to turn to the camera and be like, "Don't tell George." <laughs> George, we have it on the podcast in our like the the Star Wars episode where I made a mistake and I told you I corrected myself to you do you remember oh, that oh yeah i do i do okay that okay. is that is not in my character okay in fact you said that it would be in your character to hide that from me <laughs> oh oh that yes. feels so good I, just, I, just, I don't i don't want to be somebody who just says the wrong thing and finds out oh i was wrong and then not admit it no, that's not me. I'm going to be better than that. George, no, no, I right. appreciate that. That is a mature thing to do. I definitely would have <laughs> hid it from you. But don't be like me. Which which one of the Fellowship has a shitty memory? Because that would be George. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, who has the ring? Shit, where are we going? Oh, I thought we were going to the Shire. Okay. No, we're taking the Hobbits to Isengard. Oh, my God. <laughs> That, uh, I had to rewind that scene time and time oh, again. It's so hard oh, to yeah. actually watch that in the movie anymore because you immediately just think of the meme. You know yes. it's coming, yeah. <laughs> he's like, well, he's going to say it. Legolas, what do your elf eyes see? <laughs> so good. Overall, fantastic film. Like, it's still, like, everything about it is still wonderful. Like, here I am, you know, like, just saying that. It's hard to keep track of. It, not, it isn't really. I think it's just more from my viewpoint growing up with these films um but it's still an amazing film like i damn you can argue that this is like a near perfect piece of like hollywood blockbuster filmmaking i think i don't know what oh, yeah i don't know if you can get much grander than this outside of like maybe a st like star wars empire strikes back but even then you have a bunch of people that are saying that this is better it still holds up very well mm -hmm. um and it leads into that third movie perfectly because you end on the high note, but then there's that ominous final scene with Smeagol or Gollum, you know, um, where he's kind of hinting at what what he's planning to do. And you're just like, oh, no, shit's about to get way worse for Frodo and Sam. So it's yeah. If you guys haven't yeah. seen if you haven't seen this movie or if you haven't seen it in a long time, I definitely recommend rewatching it. Because um, even just alone, the action scenes are incredible. Like the story is incredible, but the action Help holds up so well. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. So the skateboarding on the shield is, is like, that's so cool. <laughs> I I feel like that's a big reason I was in love with Legolas with that myself. <laughs> uh, so much style, you know? Mm -hmm. This is my favorite out of the three. Um, mm -hmm. I always tell people because of specifically of the Battle of Helm's Deep, I think that was one of the greatest scenes ever put on film the way it was done the way it was shot the excitement the the grandiosity of it and like mm -hmm. the the emotional like linchpin of the story because like at the root of it it's just people trying to protect their families and their community so i think that's a very broad reaching uh theme that can hit a lot of people and it's just like super fun <laughs> 
Oh yes, very fun. Um, so we usually give people a chance to like watch the movie uh, before we get into spoiler territory, but I feel like we, we kind of disregarded that as we were talking. But um, let's let's get into the story. And last time we had Becky give us an abridged version of the Fellowship of the Rings. So would you like to do an abridged version of the Two Towers? Sure. Um, awesome. So we kind of uh, start back from where we left off. Um, at the end of the Fellowship, everyone's kind of branched off into these groups. Pepin and Mary were taken by the orcs after uh, Boromir sadly passed. You've got Frodo trying to go away and take the journey on his own. and Sam's following him, so the two of them are on their own kind of thing. And then you've got Aragorn and Gimli and Legolas that are trying to follow the hobbits to try and protect them. Um, and rescue them. Uh, Gandalf is missing, of course, because he passed away to the Balrog, and it kind of sets up like this tone of anticipation for the next one. Um, so you kind of uh, are following along, and like you said, there are a lot of stories, there's different storylines, um, but you get to explore different parts of Middle Earth as well. You um, start to meet the Rohirrim. Uh, the writers of the Rohirrim, you find out that they're from the area of Rohan, but King Theoden has been poisoned by Grimma Wormtongue. Um, and uh, what's his name? Uh, not Theoden. Eomer, uh, head of the Rohirrim um, and Theoden's nephew, played by the fabulous Carl Urban, um, is oh, yeah. uh, trying to convince them to come and see if they can help. Uh, you've got Gimli and Legolas and Aragorn that go into Fangorn Forest and they find out that, oh, it turns out Gandalf's not really as dead as we expected him to be. <laughs> um, and we have the arrival of Gandalf the White. Um, and so while Frodo and Sam are trying to get through the marshes and they meet up with Gollum and Smeagol, you've got uh, Legolas and Aragorn and Gimli and Gandalf going to Rohan uh, and they get there, and they see Grimma and Theoden, and they manage to cast Grimma out and kind of save Theoden uh, and restore him to his rightful throne and his sanity. And then you kind of find out that the Urkai are coming to try and stomp out the village. So then the entire village of Rohan needs to go to Helm's Deep in order to protect themselves. Um, and that's the really fun part. Uh, not the journey, but the actual uh, battle. We also meet Eowyn, who is uh, Theoden's niece. She's one of, you know, few handful of women, so we, we like them. But uh, <laughs> she's a badass. She's a a handful of, is generous. Yeah, you'd be like a fingerful, maybe. Um, there's like two women characters. But there's three. We got Gladriel, Arwen, and Eowyn. Oh, that's right. Oh, there's a I whole can't. three of them. That's right. The <laughs> um, Holy Trinity. <laughs> <laughs> um, she's got a little bit of a crush on Aragorn but she's also a fucking badass and also who doesn't have a crush on Aragorn because also we get the scene where Aragorn busts through the fucking doors like a total badass <laughs> so hot um, and, <laughs> um, so they're doing that uh, and also uh, at the same time Arwen has still got the hots for Aragorn so they're kind of doing that weird like we're going to talk, but not really. And she's like, I need to, or Elrond is trying to get her to leave because basically the time of the elves is ending. Um, the, there are multiple ages in Middle-earth and the second age is really where the elves had their height, the third age, which is when 
the Lord of the Rings series takes place is kind of at the end of their time. And a lot of the elves are going into the West, um, which is basically their like afterlife kind of thing. And so Elrond is like, come with us. And Arwen keeps saying, no, I need to stay here and all that stuff. And they need to honor their alliance of men. Um, which of course is then you get the, uh, the elves of Lothlorien arrive and they help uh, battle. Um, and of course, Gandalf is also gone. He's off fighting Saruman. Um, no, wait, no. Was that on this one? That was the last no, one. No, that was in the, yeah. First one, yeah. sorry. He he ran off to go get reinforcements for the right. battle. And he says, look to the dawn on the something day. I should know this. On the fifth uh, day. day. Fifth day, uh, see? Look to so the east. This already. <laughs> um, because it's, it's, it's such a good moment when you look up it and the is. sun is there yeah. and there's Gandalf <laughs> and the, the music just all comes so up. <laughs> it's so um, good. It's like one of the best parts of the movie. Yeah. Um, and I'm skipping over the whole battle, but the battle is awesome too. Like it's really good. Uh, prosthetics, like the Orakai are so cool. You can mm-hmm. see the battle at night. It's not too dark for you to watch it. Um, Man, I feel like Game of Thrones is going to come into the conversation later on. Oh, oh, I wonder. For sure. Uh, <laughs> there's some really good witty banter. You've got Legolas like, making fun of Gimli for being short. It's like, I can't see what's going over the, the uh, bolstrudes or whatever those are called. Should I get you a box? There's some really great witty banter in there. And then you've got the part uh, where Gimli is like, I'm not going to be able to reach when there's a phalanx of Orkai coming up the gate and they're trying to like get, prevent them from opening the gate. And so you'll have to toss me. Don't tell the, or the, the elf. Also a great line. Um, yep. All that happening. And thankfully they do, in fact, uh, manage to prevail and defeat uh, the Orakai um, army. And then Gollum and Frodo uh, and Sam are going through the Dead Marshes towards the Black Gate to try and get into Mordor. Um, Gollum is kind of leading them somewhere um, because he's been to Mordor before. So, of course, Frodo and Sam don't know where they're going. So they're just trying to find them. Frodo and Sam are captured by Faramir, and who is the brother of Boromir, we find out. Da, da, da. Um, and then that kind of leads to them eventually in the third movie going to Gondor and seeing all of that. So, uh, Well, they, they're in Gondor in this one, but they, they go to Minas Tirith, I think. M- Minas Tirith, I, yeah, I guess is how it's pronounced. One, yeah, yeah which, is, which is a part of Gondor. That's where the king is, right? Right, yeah. No, it's the White City for them. Um, and you also have the White Tree of Gondor, which is the symbol of uh, their um, land, um, mm-hmm. realm, whatever uh, principalities are called there. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so it it does a really good job. Oh, and this whole time, I totally forgot about uh, Mary and Pippin. Mary and Pippin are hanging out with a tree beard. Well, they're uh, captured by the Orakai, and you also get the great line of meets back on the menu boys, uh, <laughs> which also it, there's a word for it, but it creates this weird paradox where, uh, by using that line, it insinuates that orcs and orc, I know what menus are like, are there restaurants for orcs and orc, <laughs> um, which is also fun. Um, eventually, uh, they are able to get away. Um, when the Rohirrim help them, uh, and they get into the forest, uh, and that's where they meet Treebeard. And eventually, Treebeard and all the other Ents, uh, they go and destroy um, Saruman. And, well, not Saruman himself, but his realm kind of there uh, around Orthanc and all the Orakai birthing things. And they, like, 
toss a bunch of water in there and destroy kind of to try and just like protect their forests because Fangorn Forest is getting deforestation is, you know, mm-hmm. that's not great. <laughs> um, and so His friends were those trees. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and also fun fact, uh, Treebeard is also voiced by John Reese Davies. It's just a uh, very, very slowed down. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, that's generally it. Uh, so all of these stories are kind of going on their own way and they kind of, and, and you were right. This is a lot of movie and story, especially compared to the first one. Cause the first one is setting up, setting it up and introducing us. But the, the second one, you're now, you know, these people. And so you're on this journey um, and kind of in the thick of it with them. And I think it does a really good job of that. And then it kind of sets you up for the third one really well. Yeah. And and I think that's a good point. I think that first one sets everything up. This one really starts every character goes on their own journey, kind of, you know, in their trios or doubles. And the story gets really complex, you know. And uh, I think what's so strange is, and I mean this as a positive to the entire trilogy, it's so, it flows into, each movie flows into each other really well, mm-hmm. that there's no, like, directorial difference there's no editing difference no sound sonic difference it's no written difference Mm -hmm. like it just flows really well it feels like it's one movie almost in a weird way a great way to watch these movies would be back to back to back if you could no take it you can if you can can, i I have done it (laughs) yeah see becky you're you're like a lord of the rings like fan though like to a person who's like yeah no the rings I would not recommend them do that. It's like a 10 or 12 hour marathon, depending on the version you watch. Oh, I would also not recommend the extended versions. If it's like your first time watching the movie. No, no, no. Yeah, no, no, no. These movies are so free flowing that after a certain point, it is kind of hard for me to pick out this moment happens in this. Like what's, you know, I, I don't want to talk about Star Wars this whole episode, but with Star Wars, (laughs) there is kind of like a break in the story, right? Like a new hope. Mm. I can remember everything. Like if you point out an, uh, an event in one of the Star Wars films, I could, there's a high chance I could guess from what movie it's from just because those movies have like a good, like, okay, act one break, act two, act three, you know, like, and each act is like its own movie, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, but with this one, it's like all one story. They weave right into the other. This one, the two towers takes place. Like I think two or three days after the fellowship of the ring. Yeah, and really, not really a time close, gap. Yeah. Very little. If anything, it's just like, well, these guys are chasing these guys, and these guys are being <laughs> carried off by orcs, and Frodo and Sam are still walking. <laughs> like that, like, you missed nothing. It's just a bunch of walking. It's more than, than walking, though, because <laughs> he finds Gollum pretty early on in the movie, right? Mm-hmm. And then you Gollum is supposed to represent what could happen to Frodo for carrying the ring. Oh, no, no. I, I meant between the first film, the second film, like the time oh. be- between the films. It's just a bunch of oh, walking. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. So, so like, you, it picks up, like, right after the first one, maybe a day or two or three, I think. But, right. like, in those three days, you didn't miss much. It's just people kind of on their journeys. And then you you come in at the perfect time. Like, they start... They find Gollum immediately, like you say. Uh, you know, Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli have like caught up to the, or they're catching up to the orcs. Uh, so that's when things are really starting to happen. And we meet Gandalf pretty soon, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And- <laughs> There's that, that like fake out where, oh, it's the white wizard. It's it's Saruman. 
<laughs> Don't let him say anything. He'll put a spell on us. That scene, though, where it shows Gandalf falling and fighting the Balrog is so oh, good. That's that so big good. wide shot where you see the Balrog fall and then suddenly it lights the whole cavern. Oh, so oh, yeah. good. So good. What a way to start the movie. Right? That is, it, that's like the first uh, scene, right? Is it mm-hmm. them yeah. falling? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, like, he, right, as soon as he's, as he's, like, falls and goes, fly, you fools, turns around midair and grabs his sword. That's so badass. So oh, badass. yeah. And this was the best way to start the movie off, just because in Fellowship, that was, like, one of the biggest, like, that was the biggest part of, I argue, you could argue that was the, Gandalf's death, quote unquote, was the biggest part of that film. Right? People still quote, still quote it to this day. You shall not pass. So starting the movie mm-hmm. off with that moment, like, it, it shows you what happens right after that, that we didn't get to see in the previous film, but it also kind of foreshadows that he'll be back. Like, because if you hadn't read the books, you didn't know that he was coming back. When I saw this movie in theaters, I didn't see the trailers. I didn't know about any of this. I didn't even know if there was going to be a second one after the first one. Mm-hmm. Um, so seeing Gandalf, like, in the beginning of the movie, like, oh, no, they're going to kill him again. <laughs> <laughs> and then when he does come back, it's just like a, oh. <gasps> It's so good. You know, it was funny. I thought that whole scene with Gandalf and the, 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 what's it called? Balrog. Balrog. I, I kind of pictured it like a wrestling match and I kept thinking of you, Austin. <laughs> I it just, is, right? It, it, it is. Like, it's just a, it's just a wrestling match. You could tell some of the special effects my age in that scene because when he's like striking the Balrog as they're falling, it just looks a little like off. Because this was done in like 20, 2002, and we're in 2020, 2022. Yeah, it's yeah. been 20 Special years. Of, yeah, 20 years. But like some of it looks still looks really good. Like mm-hmm. when they're fa- initially falling and the Balrog lights up the, the tunnel that they're falling through or whatever. Uh, and when he grabs the sword and like it's like he's been skydiving before. He like makes himself slimmer so he can catch up to him. It's so cool. And then they land on the uh, that like mountain and and fight too. That that's pretty good. I like yeah, that. the comically deep, just ton- underground tunnel that they're in that they're just falling for miles and miles on. And, and they're mi- fighting as they're falling. Yeah, it's it's badass. Like at the very least. <laughs> oh yeah. You, you talk about some of the CGI. I mean, I think there are certain aspects of it that have not aged as well as we would like. Um, but yeah, honestly, it's so minute and because minute. Every, everything else in this movie holds up so well that like kids right now, like I'm talking actual kids, five, six. If you show them this movie in a few years, I think they're still going to be taken by what they're seeing kind of in the oh, same yeah. way with that. They watch like a Marvel film, right? Like, yeah, Marvel, you know, and Lord of the Rings, like take the newest Marvel film, Spider-Man you know, or whatever. And compared to two towers. Yeah. Spider-Man might have more advanced CGI, might be doing more complex things, but you're so taken by everything that's happening. And the quality is still there between the two towers mm-hmm. that you're just like, well, like, I think a kid will watch this and still like, that's, I believe what's happening. I believe that. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. That's cool. I'm not, you know, cause one of my concerns is like maybe a younger viewer watching like the 77 star Wars and just being like, Oh, that looks fake. And it's like, well, I mean, yeah, you're not wrong. Like, you know, it does look like toys. 
Um, yeah, but sometimes you have to accept that what was revolutionary at the time isn't necessarily revolutionary because you've seen so many films that have then been inspired and influenced by it that the original thing mm-hmm. is no longer interesting to you. Because I felt I do feel that way about a lot of old movies, if I'm honest. Um, mm-hmm. I I'm not someone who grew up watching a lot of movies because my parents just weren't really movie people. Um, so then had going to school for film and watching old movies. I'm like, Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, I get it. I, cause everyone has referenced it for so long. I guess mm-hmm. that's cool. But then like, there's some old movies where the special effects are like, in like I, when we watched Metropolis, I was blown away by the special effects in that, even though that yeah. movie's like nearly a hundred years old now, if not more than. Yeah. And that's a, that's a really good point. I think this movie is kind of going to be on that same realm of like Metropolis along with like, Jurassic Park. The digital aspects of this film were revolutionary. Like, they mm-hmm. completely changed the way motion capture was done. Like, Andy Serkis basically revolutionized the industry, and there's a reason why he's the go-to person for motion capture now. And he creates a studio where if actors are going to be motion capturing for a role, they can train with him. Um, and, like, what a digital is so ingrained in the industry as the special effects and CGI uh, warehouse and like um, house that like if you look at any movie that has special effects in it and you sit through the credits there's a, like a 9 out of 10 chance that what a digital is on there because they are just so they created so much for these movies oh yeah this movie laid the foundation for so many movies in the future that movies are still working on the basis of this one so for example something that I thought was really interesting uh, was Gollum and there's a scene where he's trying to catch a fish, like in this little, like <laughs> little ravine or whatever. Mm-hmm. He's not. It's not the one where he's smacking it. It's like Frodo and Sam are in the back, and like Smeagol's trying to catch a fish, and he's like, you know, he's a CGI character that's like in water, right? Mm-hmm. And but it looks good. It looks great. And I was trying to think of another instance where you have a actor in mocap that's dealing with water, and I just keep thinking of Avatar two. That's going to be released later this year. And a bunch of VFX artists are talking about how incredible the CGI looks in that because now you have like actors that are like that are in water or playing with water. But there's no water in there in some scenes like the water CGI completely. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, what? Like James Cameron is pushing the technology even further. But these guys are still working off the backs of what they did with Gollum when it, in, in terms of in terms of mocap suits. And mm-hmm. fuck, this movie was just so ahead in that. And these are things that we don't <laughs> even pay attention to. You don't, we don't understand how difficult like CGI and Gollum on top of Andy Serkis when he's in a suit, like playing in water, trying to catch a fish. Like the but, fact that they had to take those, that raw footage, they had to rotoscope all of Andy Serkis out, except for like the mark, the tracking marks on his suit, lay Gollum over that, make sure that everything was correct. Then you have to go in and shade Gollum. You have to do lighting on Gollum to make sure it matches what was done on set. And then after that, you still have to color correct the whole fucking frame too. Oh, don't forget. Don't forget. You have to check for reflections too, because he's, he's in water. Water reflects everything and light bounces off of water and it's going to hit a specific subject differently. So you have all these different things that you have to look out for. And this movie did that. And uh, and for like a what? Maybe a 30 second shot, maybe even not even that much of just Smeagol trying to catch a fish. Like the movie didn't have to put that in there, but they did. That's like the 
the entire thesis of Lord of the Rings, though. They didn't have to, but they did. And I, <laughs> that speaks, I think, to the amount of pre-production time they had. They had like five years of pre-production for these movies because they shot all three in principal photography together. And then they went back and shot additional photography for the scenes that needed to be supplemented and stuff that needed to be done with like CGI and stuff. So like they mapped out what they wanted to do so far ahead of time that they were able to put in all those little details. That's also the reason why uh, Howard Shore was able to create such an in- intricate score. The man had like four years to work on the score. And so he was able to create motifs for nearly every character and scene and like do wild and wonderful variations on them, depending on what was happening in the storyline. Ooh, I, I love what you just said, because that, that's the different because the planning is really the difference between the Lord of the Rings trilogy and the Hobbit trilogy, yes. which Peter Jackson would go on to direct, but it was a completely different story. That's a whole, just whole story in itself. But basically, for people who don't know, the Hobbit, Peter Jackson came back to direct those. There were three of them, but he had no prep time because Guillermo del Toro was supposed to direct it. And I, something happened. Shit went down. I don't know. Creative differences. Creative differences. And Guillermo dropped out. But Warner Bros. like, these movies have to come out this year because they're a big investment. And so they brought on Peter Jackson, but he didn't have any prep time. There's actual behind the scenes, like actual behind the scenes footage, interviews with the cast and crew. And they're just like, Peter's overwhelmed. He has no time to think. This dude is completely uh, drowning. And there's a scene where Peter Jackson's just like is sitting down looking depressed. And he's like, I don't know what I'm doing. Like I'm laying the tracks in front of me. And it's sad. And even one of the people were like, I guess one of the costume designers for like the orcs, he's like, yeah, in Lord of the Rings, we spent years creating these costumes and we got to take lovely pictures and, you know, pose with them. And now we're delivering props the day of. Yeah. And I'm just Nuts. like, oh, that's depressing. It's the, I mean, that's the biggest reason that the Battle of Five Armies was as bad as it was. They started shooting that without a script. Like they just, they didn't even have time to write the full script that they were planning to shoot. Like it, it's really a commentary on what happens when the conglomerates and the studios are putting the pressure to create a money vehicle versus seeing it as art. Boo. And we're also seeing the ramifications of that today. Look at Warner Brothers Discovery and how much of a shit show they are. They lost $20 billion in market cap this week because of the bad decisions they made to treat art just like lines on a money sheet. Oh, and well, it, I mean, you're talking about Warner Brothers. What about Disney and, and the huge... Uh, influx of VFX artists complaining about Marvel's work workflow when it oh, comes yeah. to it's it's like one on top of the other and it's like it's the norm now mm-hmm. whereas 20 years ago it wasn't it was like he had four or five years to work on this movie and you could see it every inch of this movie screams time money and effort you know I'm not a fan of the Hobbit films but the only reason they are they are at least decent is because of Peter Jackson himself. And, and that Lee man, Pace. And he demonstrates that in this movie. <laughs> Some, something you said was that, why did they have to do that? Like they or It was like, um, they didn't have to do that, but they did. Why did Legolas use the shield to go down the stairs? Because it was badass. It, it was badass. Hell yeah. And, I, and that must have been kind of difficult. You know, like, okay. Yeah, that was a hell of a stunt to put together, I'm sure. Yeah, you know, you've got a lot of things, a lot of choreography, a lot of safety things that you have to keep in mind. Uh, You know, Legolas, Orlando Bloom doesn't, 
you you know he he has to do the stunt you know for a lot of the shots since it's like there's also that frame of him um it just seems too hard why do it because it's badass you know but i think it's more than just badass right well like it is you're, you're these characters the way that they fight it tells a little bit about who they are yeah he right? has the elven grace to be able to pull that move off Gimli mm-hmm. could not pull that move off. No, he couldn't. He would need to be tossed. And yeah. he's too proud to tell people that he's been tossed. He would tumble down the stairs in his armor and make a <laughs> clanking noise the whole way. And it would be hilarious still. And then he'd he, get up at the bottom and be like, no, nah, I meant to do that. He he actually says that, right? Like when he gets, he says, I meant to do that. Oh, with the horse, when he falls off the horse. Yeah. Every every time, like he he's fighting the, I think they're called wargs. In that mm. that battle, when they're being attacked, when they're trying to move everybody to Helm's Deep, he gets attacked and he doesn't ask for help. He just kind of lays there. I think, doesn't he say that I had that one yeah. when Aragorn saves him? Mm-hmm. Aragorn, sorry. I keep saying Aragorn, but it's Aragorn. My bad. Dragon's <laughs> on the brain. <laughs> yeah. Bring your pretty face to my eyes. Ah! Ah! But no counts as mine! I think their characters come more to life in this film versus the the last one. Because in the last one, you're being introduced to them. They're kind of stereotypes, I guess, archetypes of who, what an elf is supposed to be, what a dwarf is supposed to be, and, and all that stuff. But in this one, I feel like you get more of them being these unique characters. You know, he's not just the dwarf. He's Gimli, mm-hmm. son of, I don't remember. Goin. <laughs> Goin. Goin? Gloin. Gimli, Gloin. son of Gloin. We Gimli meet Gloin, Gloin in the Hobbit series. I can't I I can't pretend to know I know any of their no, names. That's fair. There's a <laughs> the lineology I don't even think that's a word, but that of Lord of the Rings, there's a lot of history and backstory. J.R.R. Yeah. Tolkien was like, I'm gonna make all of the family trees. You're gonna know all of it. All the branches. <laughs> <laughs> uh I do like that. Like, I haven't watched The Fellowship since we talked about it, I think, last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, oh, should I watch that movie in preparation for this one? You really don't need to because of how strong the opening is. Like, you meet everyone when you're supposed to meet them. It starts off with that the Balrog and, and Gandalf. That's really cool. We, we catch up with Frodo and Sam. And like, okay, they're stuck on this mountain. The Merry and Pippin are captured by the orcs. And we know that the our heroes, our fighters are after them. It's such a like a a good starting point so that you're not overwhelmed with all the information. The, the first movie has that long monologue of the the ring and the nine rings were given to man and five rings given to you know. There's a lot of it to soak in before you actually meet characters you care about. But in this one, you meet them all right at the beginning. It's just it's so good. Such it's a like good a, it's like a, it's like a TV show. It's like on this week, that Lord of the Rings on this episode, and it's just, <laughs> but it just, it just gets right into it. There's no, like you said, there's no real introduction to like the whole world and stuff. And they, they make sure that they explain it. They catch you up. Like they, you know, there are like pieces of dialogue where it's like, we're headed to this place because we need this. But like, it's really, you know, you have it's to natural. Have, it's natural. Yeah. And, like, it doesn't feel as forced, you know? And Yeah, because, like, to get into Lord of the Rings, you need that introduction. You need that narration and and all that stuff. But, like, when you're watching it again, it's kind of like, 
when do we meet the guys? <laughs> you know, just it's the same thing when we watch Star Wars. Like there's there's all that stuff we're seeing in the beginning is like setting up this world of Star Wars, but we don't meet Luke until like 19 minutes in or something. 20 minutes. 20 minutes in. Yeah. It's like you you need it there, so it's really nice for when you're watching the second one that it's just you just meet the characters, the, the faces that you care about. Maybe you don't know their names, but you know their characters. Mm-hmm. And it really, that's why it benefits from being the second in the trilogy, because you're not introducing, mm-hmm. but you also are not obligated to tie up your loose ends because you have a third movie to let that happen. So this is really where the story can be as messy and broad and bold as possible. And I think that's part of the reason I like it so much, because mm-hmm. it, this is where you get most of the story, I think. Yeah, and I I think you get like what the, the story is supposed to like mean to you. Like what is what is the allegory? What's the war allegory? I feel like it's very obvious, but not too obvious. Just some of the language that they use that that Saruman uses when he's describing how he's erecting his army. You know, I, I feel like a tree beard says that, oh, Saruman used to like walk around here, but then he got obsessed with metal and wheels. Mm-hmm. Sound a lot like tanks, you know? <laughs> the old world will burn in the fires of industry. The forests will fall. A new order will rise. We will drive the machine of war with the sword and the spear and the iron fist of the orc. <laughs> They cannot all be armed in time. We don't have the moons. Build a dam, block the stream, work the furnaces, night and day. We don't have enough fuel to feed the fires. The forest of Fangorn lies on our doorstep. Burn it. Yes. I mean, you 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 have this uh, imagery to war, right? Because J.R.R. Mm-hmm. Tolkien was in World War One, right? But then you also have like these sentiments of like nature versus like industry right yes. and just the environment like you know like it it's there guys it's not i'm not i'm not fishing for it's really not no it and is if, if you it... say that we are you're fucking wrong <laughs> <laughs> no there's actually been um commentary that the way that they progress through um middle earth is a depiction of england going backwards basically so the shire is like when England was in its farming state, and then you get back to Bree, and it's more of its medieval times. You get back to Gondor, and it's when it's in its Roman, um, uh, the Roman times, because they're used, uh, the Romans went all the way to the UK, or what is now the UK. And then you get back to Mordor, and that's like prehistoric times. So there is, that that note has been made before, actually. You guys okay. are on the money there. there are, they are hinting at, like, the responsibility that you have uh, to, to do good in the world because you are a part of this world, you know, kind of like what the Ents, mm-hmm. what Pippin and Mary say. It's like, you're a part of this world. You, They don't say responsibility, but it's like, you have to do what you have to, right? Um, so there's a lot. You're right. This movie does present the most themes, like what you can take away from, uh, from this franchise the most, outside of like hope and the good in people and stuff like that. Whereas I feel like the third one really is like, okay, we are we're getting ready for the big battle that everyone's been waiting for. Like, this is the culmination of... Nine hours of time. 
Exactly. <laughs> and we're going to end it satisfying. But by this point, you already have a grasp of what your theme of what you're choosing to take away from this film. And I think that's 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 very true, Austin. This movie lays the foundation for that. I like the story with uh, Frodo and, and Sam and uh, Smeagol slash Gollum. I, I, I feel like it's it doesn't tell you. Frodo doesn't say this is what's going to happen to me because I'm holding the ring. He doesn't say that, but you know that's what he's thinking when he looks at Gollum. And he's like, why are you treating him that way? You well, know? I, I remember as a kid, I didn't get that. As a kid, I didn't. I always thought it was weird that Frodo was nice to Gollum. I mean, you thought design- it was weird that he was... Did, uh, Becky, did you think it was weird that Frodo was nice to Gollum? Uh, not necessarily, because Frodo sees himself and Gollum. And so... Did you, did you see that when you saw it as a kid? Uh, no, but I saw it when I was 12. So I, I couldn't tell okay. you that I was doing full <laughs> literary text analysis of movies when I was 12 years old. Hell I just no. had a crush on Legolas. Um, <laughs> but then, <laughs> legitimately, I had like magazine cutouts of Orlando Bloom. Like I kept in a folder and brought them around with me. It was middle oh, school. Course. That's, of course, when that happens. But My like, sister did the same thing. She went through her Orlando phase too. Well, because you have Lord of the Rings, and then he immediately came out with Pirates of the Caribbean, and you're like, who is this gentleman? And then he kind of <laughs> petered out after that. Yeah, true. Yeah. Well, I, I know that he has dyslexia, and I think that he did have a lot of anxiety when uh, memorizing scripts and stuff. He was also uh, an adrenaline junkie. He's had a lot of injuries. He had to get oh. surgery on his back at one point, and that he was potentially never going to be able to walk again. So I oh think he God. may just, like be trying to take it easier on his body a little bit. Good on him. Safety, man. Uh, I mean, he's also married to Katy Perry now. He's doing fine. Yeah. (laughs) What were you going to say about uh, your experience with Gollum, George? Well, uh, well, I was just going to say, as a kid, I had no idea why Frodo was nice to Gollum. Like, it, it, it didn't make sense to me. And they do design Gollum to be kind of, like, you don't like him, but you also do pity him because he is kind of, for lack of a better word, pathetic. Um, But it wasn't until I grew up that I started realizing like, oh, Frodo is seeing seeing himself in in Smeagol and he hopes that he doesn't go down this path. And I think there there were some lines of dialogues that he said in this movie where it's like, I have to hope that he could go back, that he could get better. Um, And someone else would have, like another screenwriter would have said, so maybe that means I we'll get back to normal and go back to the Shire. But they just kind of leave it. They, they don't say that in this movie. And maybe 12-year-old George didn't get it, but 20, 28-year-old George got it, uh, finally. But uh, <laughs> I, I think it, it makes a lot more sense, though. And that's why revisiting films is good, because now I understand, oh, that's why he he's giving Gollum a chance, because he doesn't... Because he want he wants to he wants to confirm to himself that he could become better. What oh, what do they say? I'm tied to this creature. You know, I'm I'm bonded with I'm him. bound to him and he to me or something. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I, and I for a while I was like, what? I I don't get that. But now it's like, oh, it speaks to the evil of the ring. Like anyone that's had to bear it is intrinsically tied to each other. Yeah, yeah. it's like it's like being part of the shittiest like high school club. <laughs> <laughs> it's like ah. Uh, Man, it's not going to get much better. Wait, our president is who? <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, yeah, I, I always feel bad for Gollum. Like, I'm like, why are they so mean to him? It's not his fault he looks that way. You know, but he is he is treacherous. But there's like this whole like inner battle with him 
I love the way they shoot that scene yeah. when when they're like asleep and he's like kill the hobbits is, or I don't know which is Gollum the evil side of him or is Gollum that just, is the evil one. Smeagol, Smeagol is, is the good one. Yeah. yeah. Smeagol was his like that was his name. Yeah. So he was I don't know if he was he was like a hobbit or hobbit adjacent. He was some. It was not much different from a hobbit, I think right. is what they but say exactly. in the movie. It wasn't exactly a hobbit, but it was something very similar. Yeah. And then you get that uh, flashback in, uh, in Return the third of the one. King. Yeah. yeah, and then you have Andy Serkis mm-hmm. dressed up as Smeagol, like OG Smeagol, before he kind of got into the Gollum era. Mm. Yeah, that, that whole conversation he has with himself. So good. Like the way that we they film it too. come back. <laughs> so good. <laughs> The way they shot it with the shot reverse shot, like yeah. two different, like that's something that movies will implement. But it, it, I don't, I just thought it was great. And the way Andy's performing it too. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Andy Serkis is, I, I, he's a phenomenal actor, phenomenal director, phenomenal in motion capture. Like what can't that man do? Truly. For real. Great, Great dancer, if what he did in uh, 13 going on 30 is anything to go by. <laughs> and he seems like a really nice guy, too. So he's yeah. really talented in all these different fields. And he's a really nice guy. Jesus. We can we can get into more on how nice of a guy he is towards the end. Because I found out somebody who may not like all the things that he says. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Um, but, yeah, the way that they film that, like, as... You know, you're not really aware of it, but when you're watching a conversation in a film, one person's on like the right side of the screen talking to the left, and then the person they're talking to is on the left side of the screen talking to the right. As an audience, you don't know that, but you know it because that's how you, conversations are shown in film. And in this in this scene, like they do that, even though he's talking to himself, it's that you understand there's two different sides of this character, and oh, it's so. So good. So well done. Something that I really appreciated about it, watching it this time, was that at the at the conclusion of that scene, he's like, no, I don't want to kill them. I don't want to kill them. And and that's it. Those are the final lines. The way I understood that scene is that Smeagol won. He won that internal yes. argument mm-hmm. between Gollum and and throughout until the end of the film or until he's betrayed by Frodo. It's Smeagol. That's why there's like a change to his character. Um, now, when he says "master," it's he he means it with genuine affection to Frodo. He does. He sees him as like a friend, as a master, until the very end. And that's what makes that scene with uh, Boromir's brother. I forgot his name. Um, Faramir. <laughs> Faramir. Jeez. <laughs> they weren't uh, very scene... uh, creative. Those parents. Yeah. <laughs> but. Um, it makes that scene with Faramir really tragic when Faramir's like, there's Gollum. I have a bunch of arrows, a bunch of archers aiming at him. He's drinking from the Forbidden Lake. The punishment is death. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really tragic because Gollum, because Smeagol looks really upset and sad. And that's when Gollum takes over. And, I was, and it, it makes it tragic. This is where Gollum takes over, you know. This yeah. is where and, he, where, and it's confirmed at the end. Because then you have Smeagol and Gollum talking to each other again. Or he, Gollum's talking to himself and he's like, we're going to kill them and this is how we're going to do it. I feel like it's all kind of exasperated by the fact that nobody sees Gollum as as an equal. They all see him as like a lowly, decrepit creature. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's why he opens up to Frodo 
as much as he does because Frodo does treat him with kindness. He's probably the first person to treat him with kindness in hundreds of years. It's the first person to call him Smeagol in 500 years, I think. It's funny because at the beginning of the movie, watching Gollum come in, I was like, man, I could take this dude. Like, put me in a room with Gollum. I would destroy this punk ass bitch. And then as the film goes on, I was like, oh, oh, now I feel bad. Now I feel bad for thinking all of that. And and then I remembered what happens in the third one. And I'm like, oh, no, that dude had it coming. Like he gets uh, beaten up by the Faramir's gang and Faramir. Why is why is he so mad? Why is he so vicious? Well, because his dad has always liked his older brother better and has told him his whole life that he's not worth anything. It's like this whole cycle of abuse. And yeah, for mm-hmm. real. And I think that I think Boromir even talks about his dad in the first one in the Fellowship of the Ranks slightly. So their their father has been referenced time and time again. And it's great that we finally get to see see him in the third one. And you're like, oh, this is the douchebag that fucked up Faramir and Boromir. Oh, he's awful. Yeah, the, <laughs> what he does to that cherry tomato should be done to no one. Yeah. <laughs> oh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> uh, but um, but yet, yeah, no, Andy Serkis did a great job with Gollum and rewatching this movie i'm like this is why Gollum still stands as like one of the most interesting characters in movies and stories i mean people yeah even people know Gollum so well that they they know like his um his inflections like they know that like the way he talks all you have to do is precious and people already know oh (laughs) Gollum, you want to talk about what's aged well that just Gollum in general oh yeah it's it's one of those things where i I felt like the that CGI, not the implication of it, but just like the skins on it is the one thing that didn't age well. And it's only because all CGI will look dated within 10 years yes. because it's it uh, evolves at such a fast pace that it looks outdated so fast. But it's really just like, oh, it could have a couple different like shades of skin like add layers on and added now and it would probably be fine honestly i think the golem in the so the second hobbit movie this the golem in that movie looks way better than the golem in in uh the lord of the rings trilogy oh yeah but, but and that's that because years have passed yeah like 10 years yeah 10 15 or so. yeah 10 years oh god i forgot those have been out for a while now <laughs> oh yeah almost 10 years ago linear time <laughs> It does, it, even though some of the CGI with Gollum has not aged well, is still, I still think that this is a great implementation of CGI. Because, I mean, I think, yeah. especially nowadays, everyone's talking about what should be CGI, what shouldn't be. And you'll have films that use too little of it or too much of it. And very few films that, like, actually sit in the middle. This is this one sits in the middle. And I think about mm-hmm. Gollum, and it's like, well, if you really wanted to make sure that he aged well, you could just... A, li- a live action person, a live action character. But I'm like, yes, but Gollum is so, is designed so specifically. It looks good that I'm like, this is how you use a CGI character. Like when you're talking about oh, yeah. whether this character should be CGI, Gollum is probably one of the prime examples of, of that, of, of a pro yeah. for that argument. I'm uh, like the only other character I think I can think of off the top of my head is like Thanos. Thanos CGI'd completely, 100% makes sense. Gollum, 100%. The list is small, but 
every so often you need CGI to bring that one character to life. The way that he expresses himself, so so that you can feel like he's kind of sketchy, he's kind of like untrustworthy, he's kind of gross, but he's also like, aw, this poor guy, you know? You're supposed to feel a lot of different things about him and throughout the movie, and I don't think you do that for Thanos. Well, there are a lot of people that came out after the fact and said, maybe Thanos was right about wiping out half the world. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> uh but no, you're right, though. It's especially when he's the Smeagol side of him as opposed to the Gollum. There's a very, like, innocent childlike wonder. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it's it really does allow you to empathize with him in a way that a lot of CGI characters don't have. And that right. was really a testament to how well, A, it was acted, and B, this this how the CGI was done by the wedded, by the wedded digital team. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I think having it live action... Just make, you know, you always run the chance of, well, that some people saying, well, it just looks too goofy. It looks too silly, which don't get me wrong. These movies are goofy. Uh, having a live action Gollum might have just made it too, made him too goofy. And I don't think. Yeah, he I think that would have been too goofy. I agree. Yeah. And, and it just wouldn't have aged as well. And the thing about Gollum, too, it's Gollum is two people. He's Smeagol and Gollum. He's he's human, but he's also not human. He's like an mm-hmm. animal. He's like really really old but he moves really quickly he's spry very flexible in terms of how he's able to crawl all over the place and there's so many like intricacies to his character that i don't think you could have gotten if you had used live action i think this is an example where it's like no cj is the way to go i think so too something i did want to talk about austin we've talked about this before uh using horses in action scenes we talked about this in the good the bad and the weird Right. Mm -hmm. And kind of how in that movie, there's a lot of horses and a lot of cool action scenes. But we couldn't help but wonder how many accidents, you know, how many onset accidents accidents had occurred just because that movie was so balls to the wall with action. Yeah. Watching this movie again, I I had the same anxiety. I was like, Jesus, how many horses and how many people must have gotten injured from this movie? Because the action scenes in this movie are intense, way more intense than the first one. Like yeah. there are multiple scenes where you feel the two sides colliding and hitting each other. Like mm-hmm. that scene you mentioned it earlier where they're headed to Helm's Deep and like the uh, the orcs on the giant dogs <laughs> are chasing. I don't know the names. Are they wargs? Yeah. Wargs is what those are. Yeah. Wargs. Okay. It, there's like that shot that you have the horses and the wargs like collide into each other. And that scene mm. is so, there's so much happening. The choreography that must have gone into it, the safety, con- like the safety issues. Mm. Ooh, and that's one scene. And then you have the Battle of Helm's Deep where you have just horses and, and, and uh, not a lot and- of horses in that scene though. Like they're just there that show up at the end. And then when the king's like, I'm going to go out swinging. that still made me concerned man that made that whole scene had me like anxious because i'm just like there are so many horses in this Mm. i mean it horses is one thing right um but just it just goes to show that this movie leveled up its action so much this whole time i kept thinking like wow like the safety meetings that this that these movies had must have been insane like every other morning and there were injuries. Like, they didn't get out unscuffed. Mm-hmm. Right. 
But I, uh, I think in this movie, it's not as practical as something like The Good, The Bad, and The Weird was. The Good, The Bad, and The Weird, those are all real horses. Yeah. Those are all real people riding them. Those are actual explosions, and the horses are running through them. And the horses are actually falling. You see shots of them falling. It's, I think the action in The Good, The Bad, and The Weird is way more visceral than in this movie. In this movie, do you ever see a horse get hit? I felt like there. Were, I saw moments where I did. I felt like there were scenes where I was like, "Oh, that 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 was bad." But it's like they'll run into like when the they collide when the riders the riders of Rohan Rohan mm-hmm. Rohim the riders of Rohan, but they okay. are, they're the Rohirrim. Okay, when the Rohirrim with Gandalf they collide into the orcs, I feel like those aren't real things that they're colliding into, are they? That's a tough shot to, to, I don't know what's real or what's not in that shot. Yeah. Yes. So I, for me, I wasn't as concerned for the horses in this movie as I was for the horses in the good, the bad, and the weird. It it made me feel a little bit anxious. I mean, I, I will say this, that talks, that's high praise to, to be like, well, I don't know what was real and what was fake. It's like, oh, well, okay. That's, that, that means that some of these have aged really well. It just kind of brought that into memory. And I was like, oh, just. A lot of a lot of horses, especially in that yeah. battle scene uh, at like near Helm's Deep, where it's just, those are a ton of horses versus wargs. And I'm trying yeah, and to the think wargs about aren't they're not real, right? Mm-hmm. The the wargs are all CGI. Wargs aren't are they? all CGI. Yeah. Okay. Okay. See, it, it, damn, they looked good. I was wondering what they did. I was like, <laughs> they trained some dogs to like get real big. <laughs> I don't. I don't know what they did with that. At that point in the movie, I was so focused on just the actual movie and how intense it was. I was like, oh my god, how did they film this scene? But I, I'm really yeah. trying to wrap my head around what was the choreography like. How do you even? How do you even film this? This just feels like it's a nightmare, and this is just one battle. Five years of pre-production. Five five <laughs> years of pre-production for reals. But uh, Sammy, since since we're on action scenes, let's talk about the creme de la creme, probably the best action scene the entire franchise has on camera so far. That's true. Because the Rings of Power is coming out on Amazon Prime. And they spent a billion dollars on that. So there might be some big stuff in that series. We don't know. But the Battle of Helm's Deep is probably the coolest fight scene the franchise has. Or at least you guys think so. I do. Yeah. Mm hmm. It took three months for them to film. Um, 500 extras. The 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 roaring crowd that they uh, recorded by having uh, Peter Jackson go to a, a rugby stadium and having the crowd <laughs> cheer out in um, like the dark speech. They put it up on the like big screen so that people oh can say Oh my god. It. Yeah. Get a like, bunch of hooligan speaking work. <laughs> yeah. Because we're in Wellington and really all of New Zealand is so behind this picture, we have these sort of unique opportunities of, of involving the whole community. So we said, well, maybe we can just get into the stadium and record people there. And what we were able to do is get into the cricket stadium during the halftime. And Pete went in and just got this rousing, you know, cheering response and directed over 25,000 people to become Burakai chanting these words in black speech. It's incredibly powerful to have this many people chanting in unison. For them, they said it was, you know, one of their best halftime events they'd, they'd ever had. And it's just like the amount of time and effort that went into shooting the Battle of Helm's Deep. It's 
like if you hear the stories from the people that worked on it, like it was grueling. Three months of night shoots. Like, can you imagine only being awake at night for three months? Um, and being and like they're soaked in the rain, like they're fighting each other. It's it probably was not fun, but when you look at how it turned out on screen, you can only sit there and be thankful that those people were willing to go through all that to make the art for us. Mm-hmm. You've you've mentioned the two things, right? Nighttime and rain. Those already make whatever action scene you're about to film much harder to film, right? Like it's mm-hmm. already difficult enough. And now you add it. Now you put it in the dark. And now you have to. Now you have to ask yourself if you're the DP or the director. All right, how are we gonna light this fucking thing? Because it's at night, so we have to explain it one way or another. And with rain, you have to say, well, okay, how how visible is it? How thick's the rain? Because you know you control the rain. You and then you have to think about is our audience is gonna be able to understand what's happening? Can they even see what what it is? It's it's just a it's a fucking nightmare. But you can see it, which is amazing. It's it's really, you're right about the lighting. It's, uh, people seem to think, well, I mean, there's been a trend in cinematography, I would say, over the last decade and a half, where things have just gotten darker and darker and darker. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's been a complaint for a while now. But mm-hmm. then, uh, you know, obviously, the Game of Thrones battle scene was really where audiences were like, what is happening here? Use a light. And it's it's interesting because, like, we talk about how older films, you go back and watch them and you see, like, they're not interesting because other things have interpolated them and taken um, inference from them. But for some reason, they didn't take the lighting with them from Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. So you go back and you watch Helm's Deep and it holds up because they did it correctly. You have to blow the light out of night scenes and then adjust it with your filters or how your back parts are darkened and stuff like that to infer that it's night because like you can't just have everything be dark and that's why it's night because then your audience can't see. So they really did a great job of letting like the blue hues infer that it's night and like letting the shadows in the corner almost create a vignette so that you're seeing what you need to see. So it feels like naturally what your eyeball would see if you were there. There's shadows, it's dark, it is nighttime and you can tell that, but you can still see the action and everything that's going around. And so you're not diminishing all the work they did to create that scene because you're seeing all the details that they put into it, including like all of the prosthetics and makeup and wigs. Um, because, you know, all those 500 extras were also in costumes and stuff like that. And all of the orakai that had their faces that were facial prosthetics, like you saw all the incredible detail in that. And that just brings the world to life so much more authentically. And that is also why it holds up so long. You said it right there. It's So see, here's the here's the thing about lighting. Uh, there's different ways to light darkness, right? Like lighting something at night. You could keep it realistic. Because look, if you're if you go outside right? It's like, it's black. You know, you've got a few street lights that give off their certain hue and stuff. Lights bouncing in different ways, right? But for the most part, it's black. Uh, and then, so that's one way of doing it. If you're going to shoot something at night, another way is to do, um, day for night, which is you film a scene in the day and in post-production on a computer, you just change it, you darken it, you add blue. And that's kind of how they did it with like Mad Max Fury Road. They shot all the scenes in the day, and the reason for that was because there weren't any street lights in the desert and they were like, we don't really know how to light this practically. We don't know how to light this. So let's just shoot it day for night. That's what it's called. It now, also adds like an artistic like 
spin to it too. Oh, absolutely! Like the the world at night in Mad Max is is different from the world at night in our regular world. Oh yeah, very different energy. And that's why it works so well in Fury Road, uh, mm. and a lot of movies do it. And now there's the middle one, which is kind of like the hard one, which is okay. We take the principles of both. We keep some of the blackness from the night, but we also add in some of the blue. And we kind of find the sweet middle ground, and that's how our film's going to look. The problem is that adds its own issues. You're going to need some big lights. But it, the, not all the lights can be blue, or you have to pick the right hue of hue, a hue of blue. Because if you just put blue gels on all your lights, then all your actors are going to look blue. I mean, get like this night's, this battle scene, Helm's Deep, takes place in the middle of the night, th- throughout the entire night. So this is hours. And not one character is completely covered in blue. I don't think so. Not even throughout the fight scene. Every every character still has like that neutral kind of light on them. Whilst, but the background, the sets are still looking blue because it's nighttime. That's that's kind of hard to achieve. That takes a lot of crew, a lot of people, a lot of time, a lot of money. A lot of lights. A lot of lights. I don't think I don't think people understand how many lights are used in an actual scene. And now you have some now you have a battlefield. And 500 extras. Like, the scope of that scene is astronomical. You have to be really, really dedicated. And you have to be very precise as to how you're going to film it and shoot it. And we're just talking about lighting. One aspect. Lighting is one aspect that went into this battle scene. You have stunts. You have extras with their costumes, their performances. And you have the general geography is what the character is doing legible to the to the audience. Because if we didn't know what was happening, then it's all for shit. It's not worth it. Yeah, I, the battle does have like these really specific moments so that you know, okay, now they're on this phase of the, the attack. It kind of takes you through that whole like, what's it like being sieged by orcs? Like you have the archers. Okay, now it's now the archers, they got to bring out the swords. And then we're fighting with the swords. And oh, there's a guy going to blow up. He's going to blow up the wall. And then you have... Okay, now they're coming in through here. Then you have them on like the with their battering ram trying to break down the doors. Hey, Aragorn and Gimli, go go stop those guys. You know, I, I feel like they do a really good job of letting you know what you're supposed to care about uh, during the battle. Like it's it has a really nice structure to it. Yeah, it reminds me a lot of uh, Saving Private Ryan. Uh, it, Saving Private Ryan has like those moments, right? Like when they're storming Normandy. And it's like, okay, first we have to get through like the um, like the like the makeshift fences that the Nazis have put up. So we have to blow those up now that we've created a hole. Now we have to take care of like the machine guns. It's the same process. And I feel like that's a wonderful way of filming these giant battle scenes, because if you just have battle scenes where it's just random B-roll of creatures fighting random army people it just you you lose the impact you lose some of the story because at this point you're just seeing people um hit each other with big swords and shields you know i think when you organize it around moments around characters that's when you have something yeah. that's really impactful like w- one of the standout characters in the battle of helms deep is Faldir, i think um the elf the elf the elf <laughs> and and he's as far as far as i know uh he's only introduced in this scene in the second film, he, he right, but he like you can tell he's important because of how fancy his gear is, and how Aragorn looks at him. Yeah, how everybody and, looks at him. Yeah, he, he, and he's on he's on screen for maybe less than five minutes. This man has five minutes of screen time, 
But there's that whole scene where he's being attacked by different orcs and his death. And that moment stands out. And they give you Mm -hmm. that creepy POV shot as he's falling. You see, he sees the body of his his comrades all Mm -hmm. laying there bloodied and stuff. And Aragorn's trying to reach him. You know, he's trying to carry him to safety. Or and you know he he dies and that moment stood out to me so much because I was like, this is one person in a battle of maybe thousands of of you know thousands of elves and orcs and stuff and they made this moment big, but it really yeah. makes you feel how violent and brutal this war is. Yeah, I I think that it's more than like just a, like a really big action scene because they really make you understand the cost of war. Like you see the all right, well we need more bodies to fill these uh these lines in, so give this kid a helmet, you know, and you have this other kid like trying to hold a sword. And then there's there's this moment with uh Faramir too, where they kill one of the the riders of the elephants and he has that whole line of dialogue about I don't know who this kid is, but he's not so different from me. His sense of duty was no less than yours, I deem. wonder what his name is where he came from if he was really evil at heart what lies or threats led him on this long march from home he would not rather have stayed there in peace war will make corpses of us all I really appreciate how um, you care for care for the the lives lost in this battle, but then you do have like Gimli and Legolas counting how many people they kill, like it's some kind of contest. So I guess you have your cake and eat it too. Yeah, well, it balances the tones. Like, <laughs> absolutely, and I mean, this is I mean, I compared it to Saving Private Ryan, but this is not Saving Private Ryan. This is uh, uh, a high fantasy storytelling. You you, yeah. you know, and it's a long scene too. The, it's you can't a, like put the Wilhelm scream in and <laughs> expect us to take it seriously. Like, oh man, I'm sad that guy died. Yeah, a hundred percent. It's funny anytime you use it, or it's like annoying, but it's never like, man. That guy didn't need to die, you know? <laughs> that's actually never. that's actually a good point that I did think about. Um, one of the cool things that I mean we we might have talked about this in the first one, but Peter Jackson has a knack for comedy. He is a funny guy. And I love yeah. how he inserts moments of comedy uh in these movies, right? It it reminds me a lot of like Sam Raimi as well, which is why I'm convinced that if Peter Jackson couldn't have made the Lord of the Rings films, I I wish that it would have been Sam Raimi because I feel like he oh, would have dude, been the most I've, suitable. I would know the perfect scene for Sam Raimi. <laughs> <laughs> Which one? It's in the extended cut. It's oh. it's really dumb in the extended cut. I don't like it, but I feel like if Sam Raimi did it, it'd be pretty sick. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's an interesting interpretation because I feel like with Peter Jackson's background before he did Lord of the Rings, he has a very similar style to Sam Raimi almost. Oh, yeah. oh, what's what's the movie called? The the zombie dead like, alive, dead alive, and heavenly oh, creatures, too. heavenly creatures. <laughs> yeah, like that. Those are both right up Sam Raimi's alley. Yeah, I feel like Sam Raimi could have easily, or not as easily, or I don't know, but he, I feel like he could have been a good 
substitute. I'm so happy Peter Jackson did it. But what makes this stand out is the the moments of comedy. I mean, you, you'll have Faldir's death scene, which you'll get that POV of him falling and just his buddies all dead, which is really depressing. But then you'll have like moments like, how does the battle start? You have that one old archer who can't hold on to the arrow. He lets it go. He kills that one orc and the orc just falls. Like he he's not injured. He just falls. He's just instantly dies. Oh, he's and dead. He, yeah. And everyone's just like, wait, that wasn't supposed to happen. Like, hey, you cut us off. Like, that's not how we do this. Like, that's not how war is supposed to go down. We do our chant. You do yours. And then we kill each other. You can't just kill us. I thought that was so funny. And then you've got the Wilhelm scream. And then you have that scene where Legolas shoots an arrow through one of the ropes of, like, one of the ladders that are going up. Mm -hmm. And, like, everything just goes quiet. And that ladder just goes straight down. And you just see all the orcs in the bottom getting squished and stuff. I thought that was (laughs) funny. Like, that's that's funny. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's blending all these genres together. So you've got, like, the horrors of war, but the comedy of war. I guess. <laughs> I don't know if it's the comedy of war. I feel like it's there to like not be as grim and depressing, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like it's trying to like, okay, well, this is sad and stuff, but like, let's have a little bit of fun. Let's have Gimli and Legolas count for count kills. Like it's well, a video game or something. You've got that whole scene where Gimli's like, don't tell the elf. That's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It does sh- show the contrast between this and Game of Thrones. I don't think there's a lot of comedy towards that that section of Game of Thrones. It's all very like half of these people are going to die. It, it, to Becky's point, you know, with Lord of Rings or uh, with Game of Thrones, that whole episode. I, I forgot what's the what's the episode title. It's like halfway through the final season. They have like the longest night, right? Where it's like pitch mm-hmm. black or it's supposed to be pitch black. I didn't hate it as much. A lot of people did not like the episode <laughs> because a lot of, of how people dark are it was. way too mad about the, the final season. A lot of people are mad about it, but I do think that people being angry at the Battle of Winter Winterfell makes a lot of sense just because of how dark it was. I I don't typically ever complain about it, but it, there were even moments where I was like, "Oh, I can't tell what's happening." Like I remember having to close the windows uh, just to darken the room a bit. They they went with the f- the first method I was talking about, you know, just show night for what it is, pitch black, and I don't think it worked for it them. It didn't work. It did not work. <laughs> no, it didn't bug me as much. I think part of it is like they the way that they filmed it is different from how people are gonna watch it. You have to trust that everybody's calibrated your TV to see these night scenes, but not everybody not everybody has their TVs calibrated properly, and a lot of TVs. Are, are kind of skimping on the backlights so yeah unless you've got like 4k or oled or something sometimes the tvs can't handle that kind of difference in like saturation and tones and stuff like that so then if you don't you can only watch these shows if you have the high enough quality television i think that scene was more designed to be seen in a movie theater i think like yeah. the biggest possible screen you're in a pitch black room, like you're in absolute pitch black or you're close to pitch black, you know, outside of like the exit signs. So, you know, even the darkness that they're going to show you in the episode isn't going to be as dark as what it is inside a movie theater. So maybe that was kind of how they designed it. But I don't even know if movie theaters played it, played those episodes in theaters. They should have. But, you know, I mean, that's a whole other thing. Yeah, uh, there were two other things I would like like to talk about. 
this movie, um, the Grimma Wormtongue. Uh, how did we feel about Grimma Wormtongue and all that whole side plot? Very well acted. It's Chucky, right? Brad Brad Dorif. Uh, yeah, it is Brad Dorif. I didn't realize he was Chucky. I didn't know that, actually. Uh, I don't do horror, so that's probably why I didn't know that. Um, but yeah, he does that whole like creepy speaking in his ear, evil person. The part where Gandalf like takes his spear and like mm. I'm going to suck you out like poison from a wound, and then you just see Grimma and Saruman like in pain. Very interesting. Very good. But like, <laughs> it's he did a really good job with the character because I. I think that that character is not nearly as interesting in the books, if I remember correctly. Wait, Gandalf? Uh, it's been a no. Oh, oh no, no. Gr- Grimma. Warm tongue. <laughs> okay, 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 okay. Yeah. Oh, Gandalf's not interested in the books. No. <laughs> I was like, oh, whoa, you want no. you want to die on this hill? <laughs> <laughs> no, I am not asking for that smoke, Jesus. <laughs> um, I I think he's interesting because he adds another because that's the thing the evil's pervasive so it gets in in ways you don't expect it to and I think Grimma is a good allegory for that. Yeah, you have a lot of I feel like it's a common trope in in these like fantasy stories where you have like this king you know he's ruling the people and then you have this advisor come in but the advisor is actually really bad and he influences the king negatively to the detriment of the kingdom. Like you have that in uh, the Prince of Persia, you have it in Aladdin, you have it in a Sinbad ad- adaptation that I will talk about later on. Uh, I think it's a interesting trope. The part that like kind of like takes me out of the movie a little bit is when they let him go. Because they let him go, let him take a horse and ride off and tell Saruman, hey, uh, here's what King's gonna do. <laughs> and based off of that intel, they're able to, like, really f- fuck up the people of uh, Rohan. <laughs> well, I I thought about this, and I was like, well, they're just trying to do the right thing by just not killing more people, because that's the thing. So many people die in this franchise. I mean... Right, but, like, there's, there's also uh, Captive, right? I guess I they probably thought he was so pathetic that there's like, well, what is he going to do? And then it, and then you see <laughs> him true. explaining the the drain and you're like, oh, shit. He's he's showing them the route that they're going to take to get to Helm's Deep. You can attack him here. Also, they have a bunch of walls. Uh, their weakest points are right here. Yeah, I, you definitely could have killed Wormtongue and you don't need to kill him. You, you could have just like not let him escape. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Maybe ask him, hey, what is Saruman up to? Show us, tell us those plans and we'll give you a dessert with your meal or something. I don't know. He's a creepy dude, but he it's, it works for the story. Letting him go is strange. I will give you that. But I'm not going to say this movie's bad because they do it, but it's just like a <laughs> weird thing that happens that I'm like, wait, wait, what? <laughs> but I feel like if, if this movie were to come out now, I feel like people love to harp on these like i'm using air quotes plot holes yeah and use it as ammunition to like tear down the entire film and it's like shut shut the fuck up well they i I don't want to sound like that right now people are already doing that with this franchise like bro why didn't the eagles take them straight to the volcano (laughs) and it's like i think someone 
I think someone asked J.R.R. Tolkien that, and he was like, shut the fuck up. Or he, some, someone said something in that nature. Where they're like, Did y'all forget about this all-seeing eye of Sauron? I don't also, the eagles are not your taxi. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's why, disrespectful to the eagles. If you, I hate that argument. Well, this is a plot hole. It's like, you might be right, but as soon as you say plot hole... They're not hole, even right, though. No, 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 no. Like, in terms of any movies, like, if they're talking about any movie and they mention plot holes, there might be a chance they are correct. But once they say that, I automatically turn my brain off and I'm like, whatever you're about to say is about to go in one ear and out the other because I don't <laughs> give a shit. Like, why didn't the eagles take him to the volcano? OK, well, then you don't have a movie then. You know what? We should burn every copy of the D- of DVD and Blu-rays of this movie because the one plot hole ruined the whole story. Oh. Yeah. And the. And the freaking the wraiths have like wings too. Like they're they're on flying creatures. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't think the eels would have made it. Yeah, that's what yeah, I think they would have it would have made them get caught easier. It would have been a different story. It would have been an aerial battle. <laughs> now we're getting into Top Gun territory. <laughs> uh, Top God. Gun. Lord of the Rings. Top, Top Gun, Gun meets Lord of the Rings. All right, now I know what movie I need to make in my lifetime. <laughs> They have to like throw the ring perfectly so it goes right into the Yeah, so then we're also bringing in Star Wars. We're just going to mash them all up and make one ultimate fantasy film. It's all the same. (laughs) It's all the same thing. We only have five movies that we all recycle. Let's be honest. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, you're not wrong. (laughs) Uh. (laughs) Yeah, they don't like it when you point that out, though. (laughs) Shut up. (laughs) It, It is also a thing. Uh, the the whole like governmental structure of Middle Earth, like, all right, this is our king because he's the son of the last king. I don't like that, but that's just the territory with these with fantasy, right? Yeah, it's kind of based on like the time when kings were a thing, so they kind of mm. brought that out. Can't really get around that, unfortunately. You can't really. It's just, it's just something that's like really frustrating. It's... Unless you have a king who um, doesn't want his throne, and he's off and he's a ranger in the wilderness, and he tries to fall in love with an elf instead. That's interesting, at least, right? But doesn't he become king? Yes. <laughs> you can't escape your destiny. Uh, well, he becomes a king once he's earned it, man. And I will true. say that Aragorn fucking deserves it. This dude gets oh, yeah, for beat sure. the for fuck sure. up. And he fulfills he, the promises of his ancestors oh, uh, in the third movie. That's all. Oh, such a big. Oh, again, we'll get there when we get there. Yeah. <laughs> now I'm just excited for Return of the King. Something, <laughs> something I forgot is in that battle, uh, like outside of like, like by Helm's Deep, right with the wargs. Like he gets fucked up. He gets shut. He, he gets the throne off that cliff. <laughs> and, and, and he fell. Oh my god. <laughs> and then. He gets up, right? His horse saves him, which, thank God for horse. Bregor. And then the day, like, a few hours before Helm's Deep is supposed to happen, this dude recovers and goes back, and he lets them know what's happening. And I'm like, bro, you were nearly dead, like, a day ago. Like, a day or two ago. Mm-hmm. What the... F- and he's, and he, he spends the whole night fighting. I'm like, if anyone ever deserved to be king, it was Aragorn. For sure, because he he knew, hey, we can't do this alone. We need help. And then the actual king's like, no. Who will answer our call? Like you could you could still ask, you know. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. Also, the the tr- the ants. 
I wanted to talk about them a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like they were supposed to be an allegory for uh, bureaucracy. Oh, because they're so slow moving? Yes. Yeah. No, I can absolutely see that. It makes sense when you when you think about it, because, I mean, oh, yeah. Tolkien was served in, he fought in World War One, And, I mean, I'm, I'm sure soldiers have their own feelings about bureaucrats in general. Right? And how, I mean, time and time again, you know, they'll talk about, man, you guys just push pencils and we're the ones doing the, what needs to be done. And so it makes a lot of sense. Now, I don't know if it was like a hold in for like British, like, uh, you know, whatever government was there at the time or one. I don't know. But it ends for more of a stand in for his concern about deforestation legitimately. Oh, OK. Mm. So I just See, I just looked it up, actually. It uh, rep- represented a wish fulfillment on Tolkien's part, concerned as he was with the increasing damage to the English countryside in the 20th century. And that makes a lot of sense, too, because uh, Saruman is using the trees to fuel his war machine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? you see when he's like opening up uh, or think is the tower, Isengard, and he, like the trees are falling into the ground in the caves when the Orakai are being born and you kind of see all of the industry that's happening underneath the ground and it's destroying the forests mm-hmm. yeah and they're like he's like clearing it he's like you don't have fuel well look we're in front of the Farragon forest what's it called the Farragon Fangorn Fangorn forest mm-hmm. it's like we need trees well you got plenty of them chop them down <laughs> fortunately those trees are alive and they will fight back <laughs> It it is funny how like that's what does them in like the armies aren't even close to Isengard, but the trees they're like we've had enough of this shit and then they just take out Isengard like by themselves basically. Yeah, like, pretty it's, easily it's, too. Like I thought some none of, of them was, die. <laughs> some some of them, bro. They, they I mean the win. trees that were cut down die, but the the ants none of them die. Yeah, I I don't think any of them. No, that. That's the last march of the ants. Um, some of them do die by doing that. Oh, yeah. Oh. By moving, they die, or no, by like going and fighting against Saruman because some of them get chopped down, some of them are caught on fire and stuff like that. Oh, um, not all of them, but some of them do get destroyed. Yeah. In the in the film, there's just that one that gets he gets set on fire, but then when they open the dam, he like runs in and is like, "I'm gonna put myself out. I'm too hot." Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love that guy. No, same. I I I. I saw that and I was like, yeah, I feel that, bro. It's so funny because like when you see the water come in, you're like, oh, I hope that tree gets put out. I remember thinking that as a child. Yeah. And then like it feels like a last second add on for like, I don't want the kids to be too sad here. Let's show that this tree that got caught on fire gets put out. (laughs) You they could have made this movie way more brutal if they wanted to like. Absolutely. They could have made this movie the most fucking depressing thing ever. And the most brutal thing. Remember when that guy guy got hit with like one of like the ladder claws at Helm's Deep? Oh yeah. And all you see is like his body just fly back. But in reality, <laughs> that would have pierced him and destroyed his body. Yeah. And that I could imagine like if I mean like great- a fatality or something. Yeah, and <laughs> exactly. And if like J.R.R. or uh uh George what's his name game of thrones guy george rr martin had got his hands on this universe he would have like you know had that tree like burned to death and we would have seen it and the ash and just 
you know. That really speaks to J.R.R. Tolkien's intentions of creating a world where there's hope at the end, I think. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You don't really see that anymore, unfortunately. (laughs) (laughs) No, no. I mean, I mean, like Game of Thrones does have a happy ending somewhat. A lot of people died in that second and last episode. A lot of people died in that series. Yeah. Boromir died yeah. in that series. <laughs> <laughs> He's over two on fantasy series. Ooh. But that is actually a good point, Becky. I am curious to see if Rings of Power um kind of brings back some of that hope. Because like you said, this is not something that Peter Jackson threw in. I mean, maybe the tree part, but it was J A J R R Tolkien's desire to make hope seem very attainable, especially at the end, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. I mean, that's J.R.R. Tolkien. That's the actual text that these shows are referencing. Game of Thrones is, a, is, you know, the show is based off a different text with a different creator with a different intent. Maybe hope is at the end, but maybe he wanted to create something that was a lot more grim and dark, which is fine. I'm not against that. But um, <laughs> now that they're going back to Rings of Power, I wonder if they're going to lean into the aesthetic of Game of Thrones a little bit just because... It is popular and everybody wants that substitute for Game of Thrones. I, or I'm, I'm curious. That's what I'm most curious about is whether they're going to lean into that or not. I so I did go to the Comic-Con panel um, and that had the two showrunners. Um, I'll say J.D. Payne and I forget the other guy's name um, and their head producer. Um, and they talked a lot about the hope that J.R. Tolkien writes about and that it was kind of a guiding factor for them in creating the series. Um, so I, I kind of trust them. I'm very excited about it. They debuted some footage for us. We got to be introduced to the characters. Um, the cast came out and talked about everything and the experience of filming it and just seeing what's coming. I'm very excited for it. And then they have started kind of airing or um, debuting the episodes and some um, like sneak previews and stuff like that. And they showed a couple episodes to some Tolkien scholars earlier this year, I think right before Comic-Con to get their feedback and kind of across the board, everyone's been happy so far, which also like anytime everyone is okay with something, I'm like concerned because <laughs> it's like, <laughs> then my expectations are too high, mm-hmm. but I really, I think this series is going to be good and something special. The The creators have said that it will be 50 hours of a story and they already know what that 50th hour is going to be. Like they've plotted everything out. So it's not, they know what they're doing. They're not laying track in front of it while they're on the train. So I think they're going to be doing something really, really, really cool with the series. Or I sure hope they are. <laughs> and I'm, You'll I'm, find something to to be entertained by it. Oh yeah. No, Even I if, I will find something to love in it. I just hope everyone else can too. For sure. Uh when we started recording, George was like, how does Gandalf come back? Watching the mm. movie now, are you satisfied with how Gandalf comes back? Yeah, I mean, vaguely. I or I am satisfied, <laughs> but I am satisfied, but I still don't totally get it. But it is one of those things where it's like, okay, so it's something with like the afterlife you know i mean this movie hints at the afterlife in multiple times and like lord of rings kind of has their version of the afterlife like you were saying becky the elves are heading out west which is like the west which doesn't make sense to me like they're accepting their next phase in life now what does that actually look like i don't know i can't i don't think i don't know 
but there is something with the afterlife involved. And what I got from this time is that I didn't get before. It's just that there's maybe some deity or some guy that brought Gandalf back to complete his quest. And I'm like, okay, I'm satisfied with that. Like I'm, I'm good enough with that. Like I was raised Catholic. Uh, my parents are very Catholic. And so, you know, God was like, oh, God, this and God, that. So when I saw that and you see like the space and stuff, I was like, wait, was that God that saved Gandalf and put him back? That doesn't make any sense. And now I'm just like, okay, so it's some something that like uses like something that's kind of in control of the entire universe brought Gandalf to life so he could complete his quest. What I thought was really interesting is the fact that he doesn't really remember that or he doesn't remember everything. Like he forgot his name. And I was like, it's, it's comforting to see him back, but it throws you off when he's like, Oh, Gandalf, that's my name. I'm like, wait, what? It is weird that no one else is concerned about that. Cause like, I remember feeling that too. I'm like, wait, is he not the same character anymore? But none of them are too worried about that. And then he just goes back to, to being his old self somewhat. That's such a weird thing. He remembers the names and everything. Imagine if I die right in front of you guys and then you see me back and i'm wearing pitch black in one when i die and i'm wearing all white in the next and you're like what happened your hair is all straight and long (laughs) (laughs) and then it's like george and it's like oh yeah that was my name george wouldn't that throw you off yeah a little bit i thought i was satisfied with the answer um now i understand that god saved gandalf the middle earth version of god yeah the the middle earth version because he's part of, he, do you know what Gandalf is beyond a wizard? No. Okay. So, uh, the wizards, or Tari, are the forces that were sent to Middle-earth as a representation of the Valinor. Um, and the Valinor are basically, like, angels and the heavenly beings and stuff like that. Heavenly um, creatures. <laughs> yeah. So there is, there is, like, a higher power in the middle, in the more oh is so gandalf is an angel yes essentially um gandalf saruman uh radagast and then the blue wizards and they all have like colors associated with them yeah gandalf was gandalf the gray and saruman was the white wizard mm -hmm. and then radagast is radagast the brown and then he's in the hobbit series and then there's the blue wizards but you don't really see them not a lot of wizards in Lord of the Rings, and at least in the movies, because there's only the two. Yeah. And everybody knows who they are. Mm-hmm. They must be, like, really famous or something. What? Well, there's, uh, how many angels do you think are walking around? <laughs> I mean, Gandalf said he was a pilgrim. And, like, he was like, oh, in my other life, I was a pilgrim. Or he says something about pilgrims. So he was someone who traveled a lot. And he was a cool yeah. guy. He was chill. Yeah, everyone's like, here, take some of our weed. And he's like, thanks. Yeah. That's so cool to think of him as an, like, like an angel. And he kind of is. Especially when he comes back as Gandalf the White. Then you're really laying all in on the God allegory. <laughs> I will say there is one thing that I do think makes this movie bad. And it's Ooh. nitpicky as fuck. But I, this is the hill I'm going to die on. Having your main villain be called Sauron. <laughs> and having the second villain named Saruman is confusing as hell and it's awful it's terrible up with mr tolkien like faramir and boromir okay you're pushing brothers but but they're brothers of gloin Uh, have you ever listed or listened to the 12 dwarves from the hobbit 
Oh no! Like, oin gloin, uh, biffer buffer bofer, dwallin and ballin. Like it's all stupid names like that. <laughs> yeah, I, and like and well, and here's the problem. I watched the first two Hobbit movies. I cannot name you a single one. You named a lot of dwarves. I, I have no already forgot them. I forgot them. Sauron and Saruman is stupid as fuck. Is dumb <laughs> as fuck. I, I just I don't like it because I was watching this without subtitles, and they were saying they were saying Saruman. And I was like, wait, did he say Saruman? It's like, oh no, they said Sauron. What the fuck, bro? <laughs> <sighs> It doesn't bother me as much because it's like it's part of the territory of fantasy. Like I remember when Elden Ring came out and all of their names are very similar, right? There's like Godfrey, God, Godwin and Godric, and they're all like related. Everyone was complaining about it. But I'm like, dude, that just comes with the territory. Their names being similar means they're related. I guess. But I don't know. I mean, look. I think the problem is you've got too many accents in this movie. You've got English accents. You've got some other accents. You got tree accents. I just call the head bad guy Sauron, and then call, you know, Saruman, you know, something else. <laughs> Sal. Something else. Sal. 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 <laughs> me off so much <laughs> sal the white villain i don't i don't know no I, now now he's a villain from new jersey not middle Earth. hey <laughs> go burn down those trees <laughs> yo they're taking the hobbits up to the bronx <laughs> oh 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 okay so actually we mentioned this slightly before but uh sauron and saruman are things that i think have not aged well now you might be thinking ah, eh, you're kind of bitching george probably i like to complain a lot but one thing I think all three of us could agree on is that scene with Legolas has not aged well. They're taking the hobbits to Isengard. I could not stop laughing. <laughs> that's that's because of the meme. But there, there's like one there's one thing that Legolas does from like <laughs> it's like I I didn't like I've never thought of this that moment before until like right when it was about to happen is when he is like shooting the arrows to like draw the attention of the wargs and then like the writers come behind him and he does this like ridiculous like oh the hand grab and he's like up <laughs> over the side yeah that's a interesting <laughs> cgi choice i will it's, give you that one it is really funny and and like <laughs> the, distracting the elf physics are <laughs> questionable <laughs> but like i guess in my head i can like all right they're selling you on the fact that this guy is extra and, and also he's light because he's an elf like he can do these things because he's not human so like in certain situations you'll see him do some like crazy shit because hey he's not actually human guys he's an elf and in this world elves can do these things I, well i'm not i'm not disagreeing with that and in fact i'm fine with it i just think it's a little silly when that line comes up they're taking the they're taking the hobbits to isengard <laughs> i can't you know, it's it's like the whole it's like uh, Sonny's death and the Godfather. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's it like is... not to any fault of its own, but because of how we've like taken it out of context, like you can't see it the same way. Yeah. Now, to its credit, it's this we're taking a Hobbit to Isengard is one line of dialogue in the very beginning of the movie. Sonny's death is supposed to be a big thing. So meme culture has ruined that scene forever. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but this was still this this movie's still fine. But that scene, that line, just oof, does not. <laughs> but yeah. with those two things, I think those are the things that have not aged well. But outside of that, this movie's incredible. It's awesome. Facts. Mm-hmm. So I haven't seen the extended edition. I've only seen the theatrical. Uh, but you know, checking online, re- people were talking about um some of the differences. Here's uh, this is Screen Grant. And they're saying that the original screen time, the runtime of the theatrical is 179 minutes, that the extended is 223. That's like three hours and 40 something minutes. Holy shit. Yeah. I will say that like half of it feels like it kills the the, the flow of the movie. Uh, and some of it is like, oh, no, I like this. This this actually makes this other scene that happens later on better. The extended cut actually adds scenes with Pippin and Mary, which is interesting because that's something that I did think lacked in the two towers in the original one was uh, Mary and Pippin. Their involvement in the story is pretty absent. It's not until the third one when Pippin actually has a large, a larger role. But in this one, they're just talking to the ends. But apparently in the extended, they have a lot more. Uh, they, ha- they have a lot more with their encounter with Treebeard. Uh, yeah. There's like a whole scene with them in the Orokai and or the Oruk, the Oruk High, Uruk High. Uh, they took out some of Saruman's preparation for the battle as Helm's Deep, uh, like his decision to burn the forest at Fongorn, encouraging the villagers to attack Rohan and building a dam, which we see being destroyed when the Ents attack. I think the Saruman stuff is good. I think it's the Merry and Pippin stuff where I'm like, you don't need this. This is so weird. <laughs> There are two scenes, two other things where we learn a bit more about Aragorn, um, just more backstory on him. And then I think one of the biggest ones that's interesting is there's a flashback to Faramir and Boromir. The Aragorn stuff I did like because it's stuff that I didn't really know. Um, I like was, I was learning for the first time there. Like I had heard about it like, oh, Aragorn's actually really old. I'm like, oh, I didn't know that. And then in the scene in the extended edition, it, you kind of spell it out for you very clearly who, what his lineage is the flashback scene i'm like 50 50 on because part of it is like it's nice to see them as brothers and to see their relationship with their dad but i feel like it just goes on too long telling you information that you already know in a movie it's really weird i'm curious to watch the extended i want to see these extra scenes and see how they hold up i mean that's the thing with director cuts extended you know, it could do a whole lot more or it could do a whole lot less. It really depends yeah. on the situation. The The one scene that I do think was really good that they added was the with Aragon. He goes into the into the stable and he tames like there's a wild horse. And then he speaks Elvish to the, the horse and he's like, all right, let's let this horse go. Eowyn, she says, oh, his name is is Brego. He was my my brother's or my my cousin's horse. And he's like, all right, Brego, go out into the wild. You've seen enough of, of war. And that's the horse that wakes him up after his fall. The one that picks him up? Yeah, Brego. Oh. Right? Mm-hmm. So I think like, like that's a really good scene because it makes sense why that horse is there. It's not just this random horse that's like, hey, wake up, dude. Yeah, that would have been awesome. That would have been nice. But to like, I guess to make the three hour cut, like you just have to lose everything that's not extremely necessary. Yeah, for sure. Editing this movie together must have been a fucking nightmare. Right. <laughs> Just Especially like, when right. you've spent years 
of your life. I got so many editing. I mean, did it? It got nominated for editing. I think for all mm-hmm. three movies. I don't know if it won for this one. Yeah, it was nominated for film editing. It didn't win though. Uh, the Return of the King won. Yeah, at, well, at that point, they're like, look, man, this poor guy has gone through three of these movies. He has to get one. <laughs> that was I'm, just the victory. Even, I'm <laughs> he sure, has to get one. Yeah, because even oh. I'm sure a bunch of industry people saw this and was like, God, imagine the person having to put all this together. <laughs> oh, yeah. Just imagine the editing process. Like, the extended editions, however long, what, four hours or some shit? Like, how much footage oh, yeah. did you have to look at to pare down from all the different takes? Mm-hmm. What an editing process this must have been. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I did do a, some research on the motion capture stuff because I was like, what what makes Andy Serkis so good at this? Um, and I was like, wait a minute. What what is it about motion? This wasn't the first example of motion capture, right? There had been motion capture characters before this. So then I was I went into the history of motion capture um, and the very beginning Right, 1915. Max Fleischer invented invented this like rotoscoping technique where you would uh, film something. He filmed his brother Coco the clown, and he traced over uh, Coco's outline, and you have like this very fluid, lifelike quality to an animation. Walt Disney would use this technique for Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. Uh, very fluid, lifelike animation when she's like dancing with the dwarves and stuff. Because it was an actual person that they filmed and traced over. The same thing for Alice in Wonderland, Peter Pan, and Sleeping Beauty. Rotoscoping would later be uh, found in, I think, Ra- is it Ray or Ralph Baxi? I think it's Ray, Ray Baxi. He does a lot of these like weird animated movies. Uh, like uh, Cool World was one of them. Uh... Fire and Ice, the original Lord of the Rings cartoon. He did a lot of stuff kind of like, I feel like we should go back and do one of his movies at some point, like one of his better ones. You would see rotoscoping in Richard Linklater's Walking, Waking Life and later on in A Scanner Darkly. During the space race of the Cold War, animator Lee Harrison III was experimenting with analog circuits and cathode ray tubes. In 59, he lined a bodysuit with uh, adjustable resistors and was able to capture and record and animate an actor's movements in real time. This was the first ever real-time motion capture as part of the space race, and the Russians did it first. We would see motion capture develop as actors would then wear bodysuits with trackers, like those little white balls that we've all seen. We'd set up a bunch of cameras to capture everything digitally, track the movements into the computer. Some early examples of this would be in Total Recall, when he goes through like that x-ray thing. Oh! Yeah, that was, well, it was an attempt at motion capture, but what, what ended up happening is none of the footage they were able to use so they had to rotoscope Arnold anyway. <laughs> uh, it's a whole thing. We could talk about it more when we do Total Recall. That would you be would see <laughs> so good. Uh, we would see some motion capture in Terminator 2 with Robert Patrick, which we have covered in 99. I think Gladiator, there was some motion capture for some of the crowd stuff. In 97, there was some for Titanic. But I feel like uh, Imhotep and Jar Jar were some of like the first mostly CGI characters. I think Jar Jar was like completely CGI. Imhotep was CGI motion capture for some scenes. 
Um, he had to like wear the, the suit and everything, the trackers and everything. In 2000, the first ever computer animation film using exclusive motion capture technology was released. It was called Sinbad Beyond the Veil of Mists. Have y'all heard of this movie? Wait, what? No, I have not. Sinbad Beyond the Veil of Mists, like, starring Brendan Fraser. You oh, know. I, 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 was, I thought you were going to say Sinbad. No. No, it's Sinbad, the, the actual character Sinbad, not the comedian. <laughs> uh, Sinbad, The Valley of Mists, starring Brendan Fraser, Leonard Nimoy, and even John Reese davies the guy who what? plays Skimley. Interesting. Yeah. Movie was a huge flop. Like $30 million budget, 30000 box office revenue. It was filmed in like 97, but it didn't come out till like 2000. Uh, when it comes to CGI characters and motion capture technology, it's like I feel like the first one we think of for like the best one is Gollum. So what makes Gollum so special? Well, to create Gollum for the Two Towers, all of his scenes are filmed three times. The two on set, one with Circus there in his gray suit doing all the acting and stuff, and then one without Circus at all, and then a third one months later in the studio. In the studio stage, there'd be 25 cameras that, with uh, shining infrared lights onto Circus's markers, which would reflect the light back to the cameras, and they would sync with the computers, allowing a 3D model of the actor to be rendered. And at this time, there weren't, they didn't have the like facial capture stuff. So all of the facial movements of Gollum were done by hand. Did y'all know that? No, I had no idea. That's wild. By hand? Yeah, but like they're looking at his face and trying to uh, copy it frame by frame. Wild. Crazy stuff. But they didn't copy it all the way, all the time. Which is interesting because the way that Andy Serkis talks about it doesn't give some of the animators don't feel like they give he gave them enough credit but Gollum oh. like the actual performance you know he is doing a really good performance right the character is supposed to be like unsettling disturbing but we're also supposed to sim sympathize with them and if we don't sympathize with them it it's just kind of he's Jar Jar you know mm -hmm. he was almost cast from the second that we met him <laughs> and what was interesting is that in order to create the voice, he was having to distort himself and put all this expression in his face, and, and that's where he was finding the voice. He was actually doing the character. And it was really in that audition that I came to realise something that it never really occurred to me, and that the voice and the facial expressions and the energy are related. I mean, you can't separate the two. Peter became convinced that he would use him not just to do the voice, but really to become the personality, the motivating, kind of unifying performance behind Gollum would come from Andy. That suit took a beating too, because I remember they made it and it was, it was all kind of clean and pristine. And Andy, his approach was so intense and he gave absolutely everything every day and physically bashed himself about. So the suit was just screwed. He also had to do the voice too, right? So they had to, like, um, make a concoction for him. Like, he says that he drew inspiration from 
his cats coughing up hairballs. And that's where like the voice comes from. Uh, so they came up with this concoction of lemon, honey, and ginger and warm water that he would be drinking in between takes. Whoa. It sounds disgusting. Yeah. But he's drinking it all. He's drinking it all the time. At least in the, the documentary thing, they have him show, have a bunch of shots of him drinking it and like, mmm, yes, yummy. Oh my god, my cat. Um, so, uh, there's no facial tr- tracking technology, right? 18 animators use Circus's facial expressions as a reference point for the expressions they would animate for Gollum. Sometimes they would embellish or change his reactions to their needs. Um... And I think in an interview in 2014, right around when the uh, Planet of the Apes sequels were coming out, he referred to their work as digital makeup. And uh, Lord of the Rings animation supervisor, Randall William Cook, did not like this. He's like, oh, he's a nice bloke. But when he started saying that shit, uh, I have a quote from an interview with Cartoon Brew saying Gollum hears the name Smeagol for the first time in 500 years. We used Andy's Andy's body mocap, but I didn't care for what I thought was Andy's too busy facial performance. So I told Adam Valdez to ignore it and animate something subtler. He animated two shots and Linda Johnson animated the third. And they created a memorable acting moment, which did not, and he puts in quotes, honor... Andy's performance in the slightest. There were many times where we honored Andy's performance to the letter, but this was not one of them. The film ends with a long mocap taking, with a long mocap take of Gollum soliloqui- soliloquizing, soliloquizing, the big monologue towards the end where he's like, maybe she'll do it when he's thinking about leading them to their deaths. Mm. Uh, Jason Schleifer, Adam Valdez, and Mike Stevens had much to do with the acting of this scene as the animation task was split among them. We also changed the choreography on that one, having Gollum advance empathetically towards the camera, having him wrap his hands around a branch and twist as he throttles a hobbit in his imagination. Again, acting choices courtesy of Weta Animation Department. Damn. So he was was pissed. (laughs) He was like politely pissed because he was saying that... Andy is the principal author of Gollum, but there's a hell of a difference between a principal author and sole author. And also describing your job as digital makeup. Yeah. That's interesting because I remember one of the things that was a big discussion uh, around like Rise of the Planet of the Apes was like Andy Serkis performances, performances in those films. And people were like, he deserves an Oscar. He deserves like an acting nomination. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. Which is interesting because on one hand, I get what they're saying, right? Like, he's still doing a lot of work. It's still a lot of work to, like, be these characters and, like, do that, you know? Uh, but right. this this interview with this, an- with, the, with this animator does highlight the fear that a lot of people against that notion put out. That it's like, well, it does take a lot of work to put these performances together. But in the end of the day, you still, it's still a team effort between the performer and the animator. Right. But even even acting for film is is a collaborative effort oh, in and yeah. of itself, because the actor has no say in, in how he's directed or how they're directed. 
They have no say in how it's edited at the end either. Exactly. So it's always, always, always going to be a collaborative effort. Mm-hmm. And you're not going to throw, you know, people who aren't in front of the camera under the bus to like make yourself seem more important, which is I've, I'm thinking how this animator felt. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, he uh, deserves. I'm sure I feel like he should have like gotten an Oscar nod. And for the, the newer stuff, they're doing performance capture. They have like the mark on their face and they're capturing that so it's like it's almost like a one-to-one kind of thing but you know if some if they want to change something they can change something does that invalidate your performance i don't think so we're getting into a ship of theseus situation <laughs> it, it is it's, it is always like that isn't it i mean that's a film is always a collaboration any mm-hmm. part is there's every if any one person is not on a film, it's different if you're swapping someone else in because everyone's experiences are different. Everyone's how everyone is going to approach the project and their particular role in it is going to be different. I, it's hard because I feel like actors always want to have ownership of their characters, but they the characters are created also by the director and the writers and the makeup and artists and the wardrobe and costumers. Like mm-hmm. it's, you you can never, unless you were doing a one-person show, you can never claim that you're the sole author of something. Right. From an artistic standpoint, I think. Well, Andy Serkis does sound like a, ni- like a nice guy, but maybe he put his foot in his mouth by calling it a digital makeup. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which, hey, I mean, don't we all do that at some point in our lives? Yeah. Oh, he, yeah. he says, like, yeah, I've, I've had him over from my house. We've broken bread together. But when he said that, I didn't like that. <laughs> I love I love it. We've all had friends that said things we weren't particularly happy about. Oh, 100%. Oh, yeah. He, but he he brought the receipts though. <laughs> <laughs> Which I love so much. Yeah. Well, he you he, he you know, he came he came prepared. Good on good on this guy. And good on but good on him for standing up for his post-production mates as well, like you know, his coworkers and people being like Yeah, he he named all of them. Mm-hmm. He's like, "Oh yeah, Linda did this and uh, Valdez did this and, and all that." Like that just highlights the collaborative nature of of movies and in in these movies as well. You know, I mean, you take one scene and you have to think about all the pieces that came together just to make this happen and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people on camera and off camera and it's it's a thankless job you know because in the really end of the is. day peter jackson gets a lot of the credit warner brothers gets a lot of the credit um specific people you know like howard sure sure howard shore for the music and <laughs> stuff but in the end of the day like it just took so many people it took an army it took an army yeah it took a literal army of people to make these movies and Every single person that worked on it was important to the final product. And the thing is, too, these people didn't stop working for years. I mean, they had a lot of prep time, but they were working back to back to back because they filmed these all three in a row. Um, mm-hmm. So, And that like, was just principal photography, too. Then you have to take into post into account how long they were working on it, too. Yeah. And and the, the people scoring the movie, you know, Howard Shore is like, all right. Guys, uh, come back tomorrow. We're going to start scoring. We're going to start recording the two towers. And once that one's done, it's like, all right, we're going to come back for Return of the King. It's like, holy shit, how much music is that? One thing that I do like that Marvel's done is they have conditioned people into staying for the whole thing. 
mm-hmm. you know, when the credits are rolling. Because, like, that, that, everybody was really important in, in the making of these movies. That's so I, I also feel really bad when, you know, you have these Marvel directors go on Vanity Fair and make fun of the special effects in their own movie. Oh, that was not I don't a care look. for that. I, that. That's the reason I didn't see Love and Thunder in theaters. I didn't see Love and Thunder for a lot of reasons. Um, <laughs> it was I, I fun. Love, I love Waititi's movies, but that comment was like, that is so disrespectful to the work that so many people did. Like, I don't, I don't think he's a bad director. I don't think that's the case. They just haven't, they haven't spoken to me, you know, like Sam <laughs> Raimi's or, or, you know, like directors that I do like, um, Waititi seems like a cool guy, but when I saw that interview, I was like, even I was like, ooh, that's not a good look. And that that's from a dude who's not a fan. Like, you just gave me <laughs> ammunition against you. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm excited for Rings of Power. Yeah, I mean, that's why we're that's why we're talking about this movie, because uh, the Rings of Power is premiering on Amazon Prime. I know you are super excited becky like it's <laughs> it's uh, are they ep- releasing episodically uh or every episode weekly um i believe so they are doing a special in theater release of the first two episodes on the 31st it's only in like select theaters around the country it's only like cinemarks or regals or something like that um but it's at, like wednesday at 7 p.m so oh my uh, god and i'm sure it's probably already sold out um, but it's the first two episodes, so I don't know if they're dropping the first two episodes um, when it debuts on the second, or if it's just going to be the first episode. Um, they probably said it somewhere, but I haven't. I ever since I did the Comic Con thing, I was kind of like, "All right, I'm in. You don't have to market to me anymore." <laughs> and I and I want to go in blind. Like mm-hmm. I feel like one of the problems with current marketing for films and TV in the Hollywood in the industry this day is that they want to tell you the whole story. And I'm like, I like going in blind. I like, um, yeah. I'll buy into the conceit you asked me to at the beginning and then tell me a good story. And if your story is good enough, you're, you'll have a good movie. Like right. that's all, also one of my biggest things is that I feel like a lot of times audiences aren't willing to meet the movie halfway. And so that's where you fall into that cinema sense thing where people are just looking mm-hmm. to nitpick. Like, Boo. You have to meet the movie halfway. It's 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 a two way street. The art is created and it, the art is consumed, so you have to meet it there. Hundred yes, exactly. percent. You 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 nailed it. Hundred fucking percent. Because I feel way too many people are like, well, I don't like this because it's not what I wanted. And it's like, well, are you even trying to enjoy it? And they're and like, also, not everything is made for everyone. There's different audiences. Mm-hmm. Just because you don't like someone doesn't mean it's bad. It just means you're not the necessarily targeted audience for it, and that's okay. Amen. For real. A fucking men. That's my quote for the episode, goddammit. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. I I can't I can't stand people who don't you're like, man, I gave it five minutes. That movie's boring. It's like, man, fuck you. Yeah. Speaking of quotes. Yep. Did you uh Speaking you of go- quotes, this is the end of our episode. This is where we instead of giving a five out of five star rating for the film. Maybe that's there'll be like a Patreon modern grade thing, but we like to end these episodes with a quote that best represents how we feel about the movie. Maybe it's the quote that meant. Maybe it's the quote that meant the most to us. Maybe it's the funniest quote. Maybe it's a quote that kind of sums up what we've said over the course of this episode. Usually, George goes first, 
Usually George breaks the rules because he picks two or he picks one that's not even in the fucking movie. But <laughs> it's great. It's, that's why we love him. <laughs> that, um, that Predator quote fits so well. It I is. To, I had to put it, it is. in. I don't think the the Predator sequel, the the what's his name? Shane Black one is like awful because it makes me laugh, you know? Even yeah. if it's not very it's, I don't think it's a very is good movie. Is that what it's intending to do though? When that dude blows his head up on on accident with a shoulder cannon, that's funny. Okay, <laughs> it's, that's fair. It makes me laugh. <laughs> and how George reappropriated the lines from that movie for the end of our Predator episode. That was great. I love yeah. that. I wasn't expecting to do it, but then I was like, I love the Predator design so much. And I love that quote that Olivia Munn had. I'm like, ah, fuck <laughs> it. Why not? <laughs> there's there's moments of joy you can extract from that movie, you know, to there, be you, entertained by it in your lifetime. <laughs> Maybe not while you're watching it, but later on in your life. It's it's kind of funny. If you follow what Becky says, you'll be able to get and you meet if you follow what Becky says and you meet a movie halfway, I'm sure you'll be able to get some sort of enjoyment from any movie. <laughs> yeah. I think it's impossible to not find something and at least one thing in every movie. Just something. Yeah. When Trevante Reds puts a cigarette out on his tongue. Oh, yeah. I love oh. that so much. <laughs> it's so cheap. You're laughing too. So there's something, there's something there. It's there's not something there. a complete train wreck. <laughs> it's salvageable in, in parts. Anyway, our quotes. George, or actually, Becky, what is your quote if you have one ready? Okay. And why is it your quote? No, I actually, I just looked one up uh, because I like <laughs> this. Uh, because I, I, I've seen the movie so many times that I'm really mm -hmm. bad at quoting it word by word because it's jumbled in my brain now. Right. So I wanted to get it right. Um, no, I like the part... Uh, it's uh, Eowyn's talking, and she says, I fear neither pain nor death. And Aragorn says, what do you fear, my lady? And Eowyn says, a cage, to stay behind bars until youth and old age accept them and all chances of valor are gone be caught beyond recall or desire. And Aragorn says, you are a daughter of kings, a shield maiden of Rowan. I do not think that will be your fate. And it's awesome. just like, she's like, I can do this, and I am badass too. And Aragorn's like, fuck yeah, you are. <laughs> And since there are, are not a lot of women in Lord of the Rings, I like that the, the women do have backbones and are willing oh, yeah. to be like, I am just as strong as the men here. And then, and of course, when we do get to Return of the King, we see that Eowyn is fucking awesome. But we'll get there when we get there. I think that was a really good deep quote. And I kind of regret going second because I, I do have two quotes. <laughs> and they're kind of surface level, but they, they, they do. No, that's okay. They do kind of hint at how I feel about this franchise. So one I mentioned earlier. It's my leg list. They're taking the hobbits to Isengard. Uh, it's just fun. That was also a thought I had. So you're not wrong to pick that one. <laughs> it's a fun quote. I love it. I don't know. It's just a lighthearted one. Uh, the second quote is actually from Gandalf. It's from the very end. It's after the Battle of Helm's Deep. And it kind of summarizes how I feel about this movie. It's the Battle of Helm's Deep is over. The battle for Middle Earth is about to begin. And... Uh, don't get me wrong. I love all three of these movies. I think they're great. I think each of them are great. They've they've stood the test of time. Um, but we kind of come back to like which one is everyone's favorite, and this one seems to be your guys's favorite. And I know a lot of people have a conversation about which is which. I do feel like Return of the King might be my favorite one. Uh, just because I, 
I could remember a lot from that movie. There's like certain scenes in it that have like been buried in my mind. Like the one where we thought it was in this movie, but it's like, oh no, it's actually in the third one where he's like, um, Gondor, Gondor calls, calls for help. Yeah. yeah. And he's like, and Rohan will answer. Yeah. Uh, it, like that scene, then you've got the entire middle, which is just one giant battle at Minas Tirith. Then you've got the spider, which I'm freaked out because I hate spiders. <laughs> she loves. <laughs> <laughs> It's it's it, and the ending is perfect too. Um, and you've got the. I mean, we were talking about Eowyn, but like her quote when she kills um, that one. I am no man. <laughs> <laughs> I am no man. Uh, I thought it was badass. So it it almost just. It, so I think that rewatching these movies have made me realize that the third one is my favorite. And don't get me wrong, this film's great. It's amazing. This movie's like this movie and Fellowship are like. If if I had to be all nitpicky, scory, I'd say they're like nine point fives. Turn of the King is like a ten, and I'm personally excited. And when when Gandalf said that quote, I'm like, "Fuck yeah, I'm ready to watch this movie." It's eleven <laughs> o'clock at night, and I should be in bed. But oh, if I wasn't an adult with responsibilities, I would stay up all night and watch this movie. <laughs> it's it's a great way to end the movie, but in like the extended cut, you go to the the goofy scene with Merry and Pippin, so it's kind of like, damn. I don't like this. Mm. Uh, anyway, um, my quote is from my favorite scene in the movie. Uh, it is when Sam and Frodo are in the the city of Faramir City, mm. and everything's going to shit. Um, Frodo's like, I, or Frodo's like, I don't know if I can do this. I can't do this. And then Sam gives this like big, long, inspirational speech. It makes me tear up like every single time I watch this movie. I don't want to say the whole thing, um, but he's like, a new day will come, and when the sun shines, it will shine out the clearer. Those were the stories that stayed with you, that meant something, even if you were too small to understand why. But I think Mr. Oh my God, it's getting to me now. But I think Mr. Frodo, I do understand. I know now. Folk in these, folk in these stories had lots of chances of turning back, only they didn't because they were holding on to something. There's some good in this world, Mr. Frodo, and it's worth fighting for. Ah, oh, such a That's beautiful... so good. Yeah, it's a great quote. <laughs> there are so many moments where you could feel the character, like the actors aren't acting, like they're really in it, you know? For me, one of my favorite scenes is where Sam is telling Faramir what happened to Boromir. He's like, your brother died trying to, trying to get the ring from Frodo. Like, it corrupted mm -hmm. him. And at that moment... You know, Sam isn't really an angry guy, but you could tell he's like, he's like going on the attack a little bit, but like not being angry about it. He's just he's trying defending to, himself. Yeah, he's, he's defending, defending himself. He's standing up for himself and Frodo. And I'm like, damn, like, fuck, this movie has so many moments like that. Oh, mm -hmm. it's just this franchise is, is great. Like, it's just beautiful. What what everyone did. Just I, I can't. I can't stop complimenting them because this really is this trilogy is like one in a million, you know, that's why it's amazing. And that's why 20 years from now, we're still going to be watching these movies, though. That is our Lord of the Rings and the Two Towers episode. Uh, you can follow us on social media. We are on Twitter and Instagram and TikTok because I said I would release our TikTok it's the same. It's at retrograde underscore pod. We'll, we'll be posting the same stuff there. 
but it really means a lot to us if you follow us there and share our content and videos and all that stuff because it helps the podcast grow and we can do more cool things. Um, we're we're going to do some uh, modern grade stuff on the Patreon. We're going to do some a retrograde bingo for longtime listeners. Have like a little bingo card where if we say stuff that we always say in an episode, maybe you can get some bingo and get a, a prize or something. I don't know what the prize is going to be. It'll be something. We have a Discord where, we'll, where we talk about movies and stuff. Uh, just DM us on our socials for a uh, invite. Uh, and we will be back in two weeks with another movie that we haven't decided what it will be. <laughs> but we'll be back in two weeks. Becky, uh, where can people find more of you? Um, they can find me on the socials. I'm Becky Crowley, B-E-C-K-Y-K-R-A-L-L-E on Twitter. Uh, Lebec99, L-A-B-E-C-99 on Instagram. Um, but more importantly, check out uh, Name Your Price and Hey Donna on G4 TV. I am a producer on both of those shows and we work really hard on them. And I'd love for you guys to check them out and laugh because they're really, really silly. You had the uh, the wrestlers on your show, right? Like Adam Cole and Danhausen and Nyla Rose? They were in the studio. They were in on Attack of the Show. Oh. We have um, Austin Creed or Xavier oh, Woods, whatever Austin he's going Creed. by. He's not one of our regular hosts, but he's been on our show a couple times. Um, our regular hosts are uh, Austin Show and Will Neff, two guys from uh, the Hundred Thieves organization, and then Just a Minx is our presenter, who is so fabulous and funny. Nice. And we have a rotating cast of big name streamers that come in and do silly things with us. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking your time uh, to talk to us about Lord of the Rings for two and a half hours. I appreciate okay. you. You'd never have to uh, pry two and a half hours of Lord of the Rings out of me. I'm more than happy to do that. <laughs> <laughs> we will be doing it again. Uh, with Yeah, we still got one we more. We still got least. one more, yeah. That's it for our show. Thank you for listening. We'll see you again in two weeks. Bye-bye. <laughs>